Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, hello everyone. Welcome along to SEN Summer Mornings. Julian King with you. Great to have your company wherever you tuned in. SEN 1170 AM in Sydney. SENQ 693 in Brisbane and 1620 on the Gold Coast. Good morning to our brothers and sisters in Queensland and to anyone tuning in via the SEN app. Uh, the weather across the listening area today, Sydney, a hot one, maximum 35 showers, possible storm later on today. Brisbane tops are 31, mostly sunny. Gold Coast, max 29 and mostly sunny. You know the drill by now. The open line number, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy, And the text line, 0457-736-736. On the show today, we're going to chat a bit of cricket with Chad Sayers. I'll tell you what, Chad at his peak, he could swing a brick around the corner. He's going to be calling the game tonight. Adelaide and the Thunder. As the Big Bash resumes after the Test match, Simon Hill from the Global Game will be along for his regular Tuesday chat. And looking forward to this, Stephen Farrow. Uh, he's the tournament director, Stephen Farrow, of the United Cup. It is, well, I guess you could call it the official launch of the Australian Tennis Summer. Some big names too. We're going to see Sitsipas and Djokovic, Angie Kerber and others. And that tennis action gets underway in 10 days' time. So we'll talk to the tournament director there of United Cup, Stephen Farrow. Now, 2am Tommy is not only producing today, he's on the tools. He's on the tools. I've no idea where Maestro is. He's having a little sleep in. Well-earned one, I'm sure. I hope they pay you for two roles there, Tommy. We'll call you... You know what? Your official nickname on the program today is Two Rolls Tommy. We'll put that up. We'll just pin that up so I don't forget to call you that. Two, Not 2am, Tommy. Not two cents, Tommy. Two Rolls Tommy. Uh, now, I will play some Christmas music. I started off with a bang yesterday with Chris Rears driving home for Christmas. Got to educate these young ones. So what is this? I said it is an all-time classic by Chris Rear. And I heard Missile play a bit of uh, Do They Know It's Christmas. So I'll have to play that back into the week because that is on the podium of all-time great Christmas songs. Here's a, here's a quiz question for you. The first line in that song, Do They Know It's Christmas? It's Christmas Day. Do you know who sang it? Who sang the first line? So the great Phil Collins was on the drums. It was put together by Bob Geldof. The first two he got over the line were Simon Le Bon and Sting. He said, if I get those two, the rest will follow, and they did. But the first line of Do They Know It's Christmas... It's Christmas time. Who sang that first line? So a bit of trivia to kick off the show. But let's get into the cricket after Australia's dominant first test win over Pakistan. You know, we made this observation and plenty of others have made this observation. Perth is proving to be a real fortress, perhaps on par with the Gabatoir. Daniel Cherney, we speak to regularly on this network. Well, he wrote an article about Manus Labashain's opinion of it. He described playing an Asian team on a bouncy Perth wicket as a big advantage. So basically this adds fuel to the idea that Western Australia should host the first test when India visits for its blockbuster series next summer. Uh, This is what Marnus had to say. We're all used to the bounce here in Perth. We've you know, played a lot here. A lot of us have got pretty good records here in, in, in the West. But, I mean, no one likes batting when it's like that, up and down, the sharp, steep bounce on a fast wicket. That's not your cup of tea for anyone. But, I mean, yeah, you just have to find a way when it's like that. I mean, it is a big advantage. You know, you're playing a, you know, a subcontinent team 
on such a bouncy surface, it's a big advantage. It is a big advantage, and he has a point, Marnus. Australia defeated Pakistan comprehensively, and people are saying this was a volatile Perth Stadium. It was to a degree, and, but I agree with what Marnus said. you just got to have to find a, well, a, a, find a way to deal with it. But it did create a really fascinating dimension across the back half of the test. And he copped a few blows. Thankfully, he got scans on his thumb, I think it was, and it's not broken, so he has been given the all-clear for Melbourne. And the Aussies handled the pitch, no big surprises there, vastly better than the tourists did. Bowled out for 89 in a bit over a session on Sunday. So now attention's turning to the visit of India for the five tests next summer. So we sort of breeze past Pakistan and the West Indies. If it doesn't rain, Australia will win all five tests, guaranteed. The thing about India, I mean, India have done what no other team has managed to do in recent times, and that is win test series in Australia. They've won the past four Border Gavaska Trophy series, as I said, including consecutive series in Australia. No side had achieved that until 2018 19. So you've got Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide, Perth, Brisbane. They are guaranteed to host tests given the series has now been expanded to five matches, which is fantastic. But the order, this is the thing, the order is what remains up in the air. We know the Gabba has traditionally hosted the first test. And you talk about the Gabbatoire, Fortress, Brisbane, and the rest of it. Australia have lost just one test at the venue in 35 years, and that was at January 2021, where India, almost a second-string team, won that deciding rubber. That was an epic series, wasn't it? But we know that the Gab has been a difficult venue for touring sides. Perth Stadium increasingly building a similar reputation. Australia has won all four tests played at the venue since it opened in 2018. So Cricket Australia, obviously, they want a bit of stability in the order of the test summer after... Well, there were a number of factors that sort of led to this mishmash in recent years. So Perth and Brisbane, both options to be the regular venue for the first test. And as you heard Marnus say, we're used to the bounce here and played a lot, and that would be a great advantage. A great advantage if you're playing a subcontinent team like India with their class, stacked with class. The concern, though, the concern is the crowd. So they go, oh, OK, it's actually a pretty good crowd relatively speaking, 59,125 through the gates over four days. That was a record for an Australia-Pakistan test in Perth. Christina Matthews, she's the outgoing WACA chief, said that she thought the Perth test could rebrand much like the pink test in Sydney to help build the event and, you know, maybe in and around Indigenous culture. Oh, fine, great, no problem with that. Excellent. And I get that they want to carve out their own identity. I don't like seeing criticism of this pitch. It's tough to bat on. thought it was pretty good, and it's unique to Australia. But Perth are going to have to work very, very hard, and they're going to have to get more people to turn up. As I said yesterday, it was a, a Sunday, gorgeous weather, no Saturday sport on, a chance to see your side win the Test match, a chance to see an open line become a member of that exclusive 500 club. They couldn't even muster 10,000. They couldn't. Use it or lose it. And further to that, this was really fascinating. The nine papers have crunched a few numbers this morning. Projected figures show Perth is expected to bring in millions of dollars less than Melbourne, Sydney and Adelaide over the next five years in a blow to its bid to host the pre-Christmas test every year. Combined projected revenue of $60 million for the Boxing Day test and New Year's test shared exclusively with the nine papers means the MCG, SCG fixtures, they're locked in for the foreseeable future. Cricket Australia continues discussions about its schedule over the next seven years, but it's not going to bring in the same coin. So if it wants to host the first test of the summer, well, it needs more people to turn up. So come on, Perth.
Pull your socks up, 0457 736 736. Uh, speaking of Boxing Day, Australia made the one change. Uncapped speed demon Lance Morris, he has been released to play for the Perth Scorchers. Uh, no big surprises there. So Australia expected to field, or they will, an unchanged 11 for the G test after thrashing Pakistan over in Perth. Nathan Lyon, we know, 500, 500th test wicket, I should say. And now that four, so you've got Stark. Let's have a look at the numbers here. Stark bowled nine overs in the fourth innings. Hazelwood, 7.2. Pat Cummins, six. So that is perfect preparation, isn't it, for a long summer? The less you have to bowl, the better. They did that. Injuries won't be an issue. That's according to the captain. The bowlers are fresh now. So if you think about it, it's the ideal start of the summer. But Morris's omission has freed him up to face the Hurricanes and the Renegades in the Big Bash. The Scorchers, they take on the Hurricanes, Perth Stadium tomorrow, and then the Renegades at the same venue on Boxing Day. Now look, I speculated a little while back. So Scott Boland, if somebody does the old McGrath just and trips on the ball, he will play. But I speculated a while back, after he was dropped in England, that Scott Boland, given his age, you know, barring a last-minute injury, may well have played his last Test match for Australia. May well have. Now, to Rugby League. Uh, this is the big story that came through yesterday. Michael Chambers has been all over this, like white on rice. Jerome Luai, it was a no-show at training on Monday, amid tensions surrounding his decision to quit the Panthers and join the Tigers. Now, Luai's representatives told the Panthers the 5'8 would not be at training 48 hours after he had informed Coach Ivan Cleary and his teammates that he would be leaving his boyhood club for the Tigers at the end of the 2024 season. Sources with knowledge of the situation who requested anonymity to speak freely. We read that a lot now, don't we, in the papers. Said Lou, I needed time away from the club after the Herald on Saturday broke the story of his forthcoming departure to the Tigers. Now, he has not requested a release, Jerome. Although, and this is interesting, and I want to get the thoughts of Panthers fans, Tigers fans, and rugby league fans for that matter, his no-show could prompt the Tigers to push for his immediate transfer to Concord. Surely that's not going to happen. It doesn't hurt to ask, mind you. And then that would hinge on Penrith agreeing to release him. I don't see that happening. Luai being willing to leave as well. That would be the other thing, of course. And then the Tigers would have to find the cap space this year. They'd have to meet about 780k. So Luai was at training on Saturday. He was planning to sign a mammoth five-year, six-million deal with the Tigers. Then, of course, he had to break the news to his teammates and link up with Benji that he was going there. Luai then left Penrith's training facility more than an hour before his teammates. Now, the Panthers scheduled to train until Wednesday this week. Luai decided not to rejoin the group on Monday. Unclear yet whether he will return to training today. So this story, it appears, is having an effect. And with all this news swirling around Luai, let me ask you this. Does it change in any way, shape or form your assessment of the Panthers' fortunes for season 2024? Especially if, and I doubt it'll happen, he's released early. Do you think that with all this news about Luai's departure, you know, premiership windows and the rest of it, does it bring Penrith back to the pack? Or more more to the point, does it bring him back enough where they're not premiership favourites anymore? And of course, it's not just Luai. Crichton's gone. Lenu's gone. But I, amongst many others, thought that maybe this is the year because no one does three in a row. They haven't done it since Parramatta in the early 80s, but they did it. And they did it without your kick hours and your chorus hours. But they found a way. They are that good. They had big chunks of last year when Luai was out with that shoulder injury. Cogger filled in, and even for a large portion of the grand final. And Cleary, 
seize the day, seize the moment. They did it without Luai. So nothing suggests to me that as, as much as Jerome's an important part of that side and is, a, as Jimmy said, the CEO, the chief energy officer and one of their favourite sons, they've proven they can do it without him. 0457 736 736. The West Tigers, I feel like we're discussing the Tigers every day. Not bad. Is that disproportionate? They were last last year, last two years, the Tigers. And it's West, 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 West. But they're a very popular club. Go the Mighty Tigers. Anyway, the roster overhaul continues to gather momentum at the club as they brace for the departure. Now, this is interesting of winger Junior Tupu to the Dolphins. And now we thought maybe this is on the back burner. Have rekindled, by the way, their interest in a swap deal involving Justin Olam and Sean Bloor. This is in the telly today. And they're growing increasingly confident that they'll be in a position to confirm the signing of Jerome Luai in the coming days. A huge boost for coach Benji Marshall. So Junior Tupo's in a, the final year of his deal, attracted significant offer from the Dolphins. And apparently he said he's going to accept it. And now he's going to be another one to add to that pile of just wait for the 10-day contracting window, to, you know, the cooling off period and the rest of it. They wanted to keep him. I know they're fans of him. But they're unlikely to engage in a bidding war. He's only 21, so he's got his best footy ahead of him. Also, by the way, attracted interest from Canberra. And this is a thing. I love this. Has been linked with the Sydney Roosters. Let's get another winger on the book, shall we? Get another tuper. We've got Joey there. We've got Dom Young. Yeah, that's okay. Which is, no, 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 Roosters. Not to mention that you're getting a star wallaby winger for 2025 as well. So buggered if I know if he was to go to the chook pen where he would play. But it is what it is. The Dolphins, anyway, they look to have won the day. Face a nervous couple of weeks, given his, as we said, well within his rights to renege on any agreement over the next fortnight. So, here we go. He's a good player, Junior Tupa. They lost Tommy Talao, who I think could play. I know a few Tigers fans wanted to keep both of them. Look, there's always collateral damage. You know, you've got to move the furniture to accommodate someone like Luai. Uh, I hope, I hope for their sake, that they made the right decisions. We spoke to Nathan McAndrew on the program yesterday. The Thunder taking on the strikers tonight in Adelaide. As mentioned, we'll catch up with Chad Sayers, who's part of that call there. One man who won't be there for the Sydney Thunder is their coach, Trevor Bayless. Now, this has sort of been skipped over a little bit. It has been mentioned, though, in the mainstream media. He's going to miss this fixture in order to attend the IPL auction in Dubai on behalf of Punjab Kings. So Dan Vittori... Australia's assistant coach, he flew to Dubai after the, third, after the test victory of Pakistan. He's got duties at Sunrise's Hyderabad. Ricky Ponting wasn't part of Channel 7's commentary team on the fourth day. He's got responsibilities with Delhi Capitals. Justin Langer, Lucknow Super Giants new coach, delayed his travel until after the test. Might be bidding on a couple of these quicks. Mitchell Stark would be the hottest ticket in town, probably. And we'll have a look at those results tomorrow on the program. But the thing about it is, Trevor Bayliss, the absence from the dugout on Tuesday, and his choice to prioritise the IPL auction for one league over a match involving his own team, the Sydney Thunder. What does that tell you? Do you question his commitment, Trevor Bayliss? Or does it just underscore the dominance of the IPL? He's a Sydney Thunder coach. He's going to miss a match to go to the IPL auction. So in terms of the teams at which he's involved in, how do you rank them? Clearly, Sydney Thunder's not first. So Sean Bradstreet will deputise as interim head coach in his absence. The Thunder released a statement saying Bayless is due to return for the Thunder Clash against Melbourne Stars in Albury this week. Does that sit comfortably with you? Or do you not care? 
It's the new world order. Not that new, though. The Trevor Bayless, who's the head coach at Sydney Thunder. Yeah, I'm going to miss this game to go to an IPL auction, even though I'm in the middle of a tournament. Why, why can't a representative go for Bayless? He has a more pressing job here, I would have thought. It is very clear now, very clear where the power in global cricket lies. I heard the Brecky boys talking about Jai Opatea this morning. He might catch a couple of grabs uh, a bit later on in the program. Suffice to say, he's not a happy man, Jai Opatea. But we mentioned the news yesterday about the Matildas. The mighty Matildas, they're going to be playing in Australia against Uzbekistan. Olympic qualifier, Feb 24, Marvel Stadium. We mentioned that yesterday. How many tickets do you reckon have been sold? Over 25,000. Wouldn't Abdo love to say that at Legion Stadium? Yeah, well, you mentioned it. Float the tickets and sell for one day, 25,000. I mean, they're not even at 20 at the moment, I don't think. So in light of that, what do you reckon the hottest ticket in Australian sport is? Is it the Matildas? Is it the AFL NRL Grand Final? Is it a State of Origin decider? Everest, Melbourne Cup, Australian Open Final, I think would be right up there. Bathurst F1, have a think about that. And, you know... Think of it in line with your personal preferences and the sports you love the most. Hottest ticket. You can only afford one ticket to see any event. And you can imagine your team's in the grand final just to, to nudge you. You only got enough cash to purchase one ticket to any event in Australia. What is the hottest ticket in Australian sport at the moment? 0457 736 736, the text line number. And on this day, 1997, was the official end of the ARL Super League War. Spanned almost a thousand days, comes after the 40 man New South Wales Rugby League. Anyway, uh, it's basically smoked the peace pipe with Super League. What are your memories of that time? One of my memories of that time was firstly the great Dragons half Noel Goldthorpe, who'd left St George Illawarra, played in the Tri Series. But one of my memories was, I think it was Matt Adamson who you know, got caught up with the whole, you know, in Live Golf, they go, oh, it's a one, once in a lifetime chance to, to grow the game and to spread the word, spread the gospel globally. He said, I want to walk down the street of any country in the world. Everyone knows who Matt Adamson is, or words to that effect. They go, whoa, just cool your jets there, buddy. Cool your jets. So happy to talk about that. Hottest ticket in Australian sport, 25,000 sold from the Tilders Clash already at Marvel Stadium. That's only a day with tickets going on sale. Should Perth get the first test against India? one three hundred zero one eleven seventy, the open line number, and the text line 0457-736-736. Up and running this Tuesday morning. Julian with you on SEN Summer Mornings. Jules with you, Summer Mornings, 0457-736-736. Going to talk a bit of cricket with Chatty Sayers shortly on the program. Mystery Man, good morning to you. How can you give Perth the first test ever again after those crowds? Uh, some people are asking the same question. And this one here, Dragon Boy from NZ. Good morning to you, Dragon Boy. My understanding is the IC, you mean um, the ICC, blocked playing in Perth. Are you talking about India, the BCCI? The Indian team refused to play there, and like everyone else, we bend over to them and accept. Well, that was when, before they had a five-test series. So Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide will get three, and the question is who gets the fourth. And I remember at the time, and it's it's fine now because they've, they've moved to a five-test series, but... Kevin Roberts, who was the CEO of Cricket Australia at the time, basically rationalised it like this. He, he said, look, if Perth received the India test, it would mean that Perth would have hosted two England tests and two India tests over the eight-year cycle for a total of four, whereas Brisbane would have only hosted two. So that would have created an imbalance over the cycle of the future tours program. In the national interest in ensuring we take high-profile test matches to cricket fans in Queensland, it was a more well-balanced solution. 
assuming, of course, that we get full crowds in play, that's when the schedule was determined. So that's what he thought at the time, the decision to give it to Brisbane over Perth. Uh, well, you know, that's the official line. Who knows how much of a protest they made. But the more balanced solution was to play the India test in Brisbane, meaning over the eight-year cycle it would see Perth hosting three tests against India and England and Brisbane also hosting three tests against India and England. So hopefully that clarifies it for you there, uh, Dragon Boy. Just with regards to who sang the first line in Do They Know It's Christmas? Uh, Morning, Jules. Was it George Michael, said Nick? No, it was not George Michael. He was part of it, but it was not. Who sang the first line? Do they know it's Christmas? Hottest tickets in town. Talking about that, Matilda's 25,000 already they've sold for that game against Uzbekistan at Marvel Stadium in February next year. Uh, ticket to an NRL finals game at Shark Park, says Chewy from Cronulla. <laughs> it is more state-of-the-art and Optus Stadium. You'd probably get more fans there, wouldn't you? Like If you jam-packed Shark Park, what do you get, 17,000? Less, Tommy? 15? 15? Well, they got nine. They didn't even get 10 for the final day of the test match, not only to see Australia win, but to see the GOAT take his 500, they couldn't get 10,000 there. So you'd get more at Shark Park. And further to that, Stewie, the venue looks full. And Christina Matthews, by her own admission, said, well, if this was at the WAC, it would have looked a lot better on television. True that. Uh, Dan, probably watching a Tim Zoo fight in Vegas. We're just on that. We've also got Nom here. Jules, hottest ticket in town, says George from Brizzy. Tim Zoo, Jamel Charlo. That'll be right up there. That'd be right, right up there. Dan suggests for a Christmas song, The Pogues' Fairy Tale of Christmas. We'll see. We'll add it to the list. We've only got four more days. Don't know what I'm deciding on today. We'll have to wait and see. And I'll play it after 11 o'clock in New South Wales and after 10 o'clock in Queensland. Jules, I'm a traditionalist, says Stingray. A five-test series in Australia should be ordered Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, Melbourne, Sydney. Okay, but how, you know, getting three tests in, though, Stingray, before Boxing Day... He's a tall order, isn't it? Adelaide traditionally used to have the Australia Day fixture. So Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, Melbourne. Didn't Perth used to have the fifth test? They played up anyway. No, Sydney, yeah, I don't know. Look, they're mixed and matched. We've got late test this year. Brisbane have got that test against the West Indies at the Gabba. That starts late January. It's a day-nighter. I do like the idea of Brisbane in the first test. But again, you know, these things are, are all a movable feast, Stingray. Do you think the Dragons should take back Sullivan on a lesser contract to fill the 58 spot, uh, 5 8 spot, 58? Uh, now that Drome is more likely going to the Tigers next year, says Steve from Norellan. Oh, look, I, I don't know. Think about Sullivan, and I've got to get at the headlines. $500,000 a year, dicey hammies. I understand that they needed to clear the decks to free up some cap space. Junior Ramon, we don't know what's going to happen there. Be stunned if he plays this year, if he even plays again for the Dragons. So, you know, where that three into two didn't go with Ben Hunt, now they're probably chasing another half. But no, I wouldn't jump necessarily. Look, it depends. At the right price, maybe. But that's a long way down the track. Let's get the news headlines. Great to have your company this Tuesday morning. Uh, Well done to Wardy and to Greg. The first line of Do They Know It's Christmas was indeed sung by the great... Paul Young. And uh, two roles Tommy today is looking at me and go, who the hell is Paul Young? No relation to Brad Young. Do you know who Brad Young is, 2am Tommy? We've got to school these people, don't we? Oh, you don't give me a thumbs up now like in all of a sudden it just uh, the penny dropped and you figured out who it was. Or Sean Young. 
two Australian cricketers. Let's go to another Australian cricketer. Chad Sayers is on. Chad Sayers is on the line right now. He'll be calling all the big bash action tonight between the Strikers and the Thunder. Morning, Chad. Morning, boys. How are we? Going very well. Uh, yeah, Brad Young. I remember Brad Young when he's playing a one dayer for Australia, and then he, he went to field the ball in the outfield and slid into the before they had the boundary ropes, Chad. He ploughed into. I'm sure is it Sydney into the the fence. And did his knee, I think, from memory, played for South Australia. Remember Brad Young? Yeah, sure do, boys. Um, a great South Australian left arm also. And That's he actually, the one. Um, the club I'm playing at now, the Adelaide Turf, he actually plays there, or used to play down there as well. So he was at the past players day uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I got oh, to yeah. catch up with him, actually. All right, how are they coming out for Brad these days? Oh, he's not. He's not playing. Sorry, he's not, but, oh, okay, um, okay. Nah, I had a couple of couple of froffies with him, and uh, he's going well, mate. What do you make of this criticism of the pitch in the first test? They're, they're saying, you know, Manus copped a few, but he said, look, you just got to find a way to deal with it. But he's suggesting, well, you've got to play India now. That's a five-test series. So Perth will be guaranteed an India test. Uh, is it a good way to kick off the series? Well, it did look a little bit dangerous, didn't he? But um, we always like a contest between bat and ball. We don't want these flat wickets. That it's a batting paradise all the time or a real green seamer that, that the bowlers get on top early and the game's over within three days. So I enjoyed the challenge and as Mana said, you've you got to find a way sometimes to get through the tough periods and I think Australia did that a little bit better than Pakistan. They did. You know, think about it. You looked at the first innings, the ball just kept beating the bat. I mean, we're so blessed, aren't we, to be in this area of, of four of the greats of Australian cricket and you were lucky. You, you played with, with Josh and Pat and, and Nathan over there in South Africa you know, what's it like with those guys in and around the team? Just tell us a bit about their professionalism. Yeah, they just prepare so well, don't they? And as you said, they've been doing it now for over years. And um, it's hard for anyone else to break through because they've been so good over over their journey so far. And they just know their game plans in and out. And they pretty much stick to it most of the time. They don't really go, go away from it, which makes them so good. And seeing Nathan Lyon taking 500 wickets, um, no one probably ever thought he was going to play test cricket. So to be able to do that has been unbelievable. And they just gel well together, obviously, all of them playing at New South Wales as well. So um, to go on that journey together as friends and as uh, teammates has just been outstanding to watch and be a part of. A lot of speculation, Chad, as to who might be the man to replace David Warner at the top of the o, uh, top of the order once he retires. Uh, a few people have mentioned you know, Travis Head, proud South Australia, Mitch Marsh, of course. I mean, the thing about the big vice, and he just this is what I love about Head at five and and Marsh at six. You know, these two guys that, that can go at that rate can really take a game away from you. I'd be very, I'd be very wary of of disrupting that at this stage. Yeah, I'd be reluctant to move either of them. As you said, they're so destructive at five and six. If they've lost a few wickets, they can take the game away from you um, by scoring quickly. And on the other side, if, if you are going well, then they just keep progressing that score rate, don't they? So um, I don't think they'll be moving from five and six anytime soon. I think if you were going to put one in, there'd be Cameron Green. Um, I think his technique's probably a little bit more suited to opening the batting or you go back to a, maybe a Cameron Bancroft whose shield season to date's been really good or, or do they go back to Will Pekofsky who showed some promise when he did it um, a few years back? Mm, it's interesting you mentioned Pekofsky. He's a name that not many people are discussing at the moment. Probably they think he's, he's a way away. They want to see him get through a, a full season, but he's a, you know, a generational talent. Just just one more on Nathan Lyon, Chatty. Are you going to still claim him as a South Australian? <laughs> 
He has to, don't you? No, that's where he started his that. career. That's where, oh, that's where he got a chance. So Chuck Berry <laughs> threw him in in the big bash, didn't he? So yeah. um, when he was playing at Prospect down here in Adelaide, when he was rolling those wickets. So definitely a South Australian. And Trav Head, uh, this is the other thing, appointed co-vice-captain along with Steve Smith. Is he a future test captain, Travis Head, in your mind, Chad? Yeah, I think he's he's uh, born and bred to, to take over Paddy Cummins when, when the time comes, uh, whether it be in a couple of years or, or five years' time. But um, his leadership has grown ever since he got thrown, I guess, in the deep end in South Australia when he was appointed captain at a young age. So he's had a lot of people around him which uh, have helped him along the journey. And I think it's just some great recognition for him to be able to have that VC next to his name. And as Paddy said, he's probably been a leader in that group for a long time now anyways. Okay, so you're calling the Strikers-Thunder game tonight on the SEN Network. Unfortunately, had a bit of rain, uh, so you couldn't get your season underway against the Brisbane Heat. Uh, give us a quick weather update. Are we, we're going to get some play tonight, Chad? Yeah, the weather has been horrible, boys, actually, as it has been around the country. Yeah. But, um, no, nah, sun's shining here in Adelaide at the moment. A little bit windy, but definitely will be on tonight. Yeah, so it was a bit of a false start, as we mentioned, that torrential rain. Uh Matty Short, it's not often we get a couple of shorts, I think, at the top of the order, but how you place the strikers this year? Of course, Rashid Khan, the the, the bigger mission. Yeah, I think they might struggle a bit, boys. Uh, I just don't think they've got that X factor in their side at the moment. As you just said, Rashid Khan's um, out of the side, so that's a massive hole, and their spin stocks take a, take a hammering. They've got Cameron Boyce, who's season campaigner, but um, other than that, they've just got some part-timers, so... They'll be looking at Brendan Doggett and Wes Agar to uh, really head that fire power up with a new ball. And then, as you said, Darcy Short, hopefully he can find some form. Matt Short, continue his form, and they can get some runs through the middle order with Chris Lynn. Yeah, Darcy's an interesting one, isn't it? He played for Australia and so destructive. And I don't know, his form just in, in recent times seems to have fallen off a cliff. And I hope for, the, for his sake and for the striker's sake, he can refined it. You know, the wheels came off Adelaide last year. I think they lost, what, their last four or five, didn't they, to, to miss the finals. The Thunder's an interesting one. They'll look at that game against the Heat and Monica thinking, we bottled that. You know, we're right in that chase. But they've recruited nicely, haven't they? Cameron Bancroft, we mentioned there, a bit of experience. And, you know, Ollie Davies and Alex Hales, a, a real talent. Uh, in terms of winning the bat flip tonight, Chad, are you likely to, to, to chase in Adelaide? I think it's a pretty good chasing ground um, at under lights, when the, when the dew, a little bit of dew sets in, it's obviously the ball comes onto the bat a little bit better. So um, if I was Matt Short and winning the toss, I'd be, be chasing. But um, obviously runs on the board in the 2020 and get the pressure on the batting side is, is a huge advantage as well. Well, I think what you're praying for as an Adelaide Strikers man is a repeat of last year's match when the Thunder got rolled for 15. Not sure we're going to see it. It was just one of those freak things, wasn't it, where you, you can scarcely believe what you're witnessing. But strange things happen to the game of cricket. Oh, I wanted to ask you too, not much has sort of been mentioned about this, but Trevor Bayless, who's the Thunder coach, Chad, is not going to be there tonight. He's got to scoot over for the IPL auction. So Sean Bradstreet's <laughs> going, to, going to deputise. I mean, look, it's, it's very clear where the power in global cricket lies, but does that sort of thing sit comfortably with you, that he's prepared to miss a game to go to an IPL auction? Oh, I think um, he would have sat down with the Thunder hierarchy before the season had even started and probably put that uh, date in the book that the IPL auction was on. So I think, obviously, you know where your, your bread's buttered, don't you? And the IPL is definitely the number one competition uh, going around at the moment. So 
Um, for him to miss the game, I don't think it's going to really matter that much. As a coach, you can't really do much once the game started, can you? So he'd have his plans and um, with with the captain and the, and the players in place already, and hopefully they can go out and execute and he comes back and the Thunder have a win next to their name. Well, yes, uh, for me being a Thunder fan, hopefully, I'm sure a Strikers fan, you you know, saying that to be kind, of course. But, hey, listen, you've got the WBBL title wrapped up back-to-back, so uh, how about you give this one to us and you can keep that deal? <laughs> no, nah, I think nah. the is hopefully they can get a win on the board. But, uh, no, nah, I just, just hope for a, a good game of cricket. Um, we've got some high scores, don't we? I don't think the Big Bash has started overly that well with, with the excitement factor. So hopefully um, we can see some boundaries and some big scores. Yeah, that's all we want at the end of the day is a contest. The Strikers and the Thunder tonight, Adelaide Oval. You're part of the call. Catch it live right here on SEN. Thanks for your time this morning, Chad. No, no worries, boys. Thanks for having me. Cheers. 0457 There he is, Chad Sayers. Uh, proud to throw. Gee, you could swing it. I'd love to see a bowl off between Chad Sayers and Megan Shute to see who can swing the ball even more. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy. The open line number. Happy to take your call. Breaking back with more summer mornings. So, a tweet by Cody Kay, former home and away star. <laughs> Shane Richardson, when asked about whether they're trying to get Jerome Luai early, no comment. You think no comment's more incriminating than giving a comment? Because if you weren't, wouldn't you just say no? If you were, well, maybe there are sensitivities around it. You'd say yes, but if you weren't, definitively not. You just go, nah, no, no, no. That's that's ridiculous. He said no. Comment. Uh, Warrior Holic, Paul Young sang the opening line, Jules, to Do They Know It's Christmas. People might recall his songs every time you go away and love the common people. That's right. And I'll add to that list, Warrior Holic, wherever I lay my hat, that's my home. There was a version of that, wherever I lay my hat, that's my hat stand. Haven't thought about him in years. We'll play a bit of Paul Young today, Warrior Holic. Every time you go away, I was singing that in the ad break. Tommy's looking at me quizzically, and I sort of, it's one of those tunes where you, you know, you put your arms up in the air and then move them side to side every time. You know what I'm talking about. Now, Tim Gossage, proud West Australian. You've heard him on the SEN network. Spoke to Sammy Hargraves, an SEN, our sister station in Melbourne yesterday, 11.16, defending the Perth crowds. Have a listen to his rationale and tell me whether it's valid or invalid. Very disappointing. Very, very disappointing. But 33 degrees, the beach. It wasn't school holidays until the Friday Thursday was still a school day. Oliver was doing his thing. Wildcats, who we love on SEN more than we sh- we do, twelve and a half thousand went. Uh, Eagle Bay, Margaret River, Broome was calling, and it was Pakistan, mate. I'm sorry. I know we all want the fairy tale, but it was Pakistan, and um, there was only Mitch Marsh. Now, if we turn in the, 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 the if, if Lance Morris had been there and they'd given Green a game, maybe Bancroft. What about Nathan Lyons at 500th wicket? There was 9,000 there. Yeah, and you know what's about Sadman? Because he's the great West Australian. You know that now because he's, he's, you know, he's got the West Australian connection. His wife's from yeah. WA. So we love it. We love him. Oh, clearly. But, um, sort of, yeah, but, you know, you know, I love Nathan Lyons, but, you know, Dimer doesn't that type of record. <laughs> There's only two other Aussies that done it. Their names are Warren and McGrath. Yeah, I know, but that's the bronze medal, mate. It's the bronze medal. You know what I mean? Like, if it was for a gold medal, it had a bit of a bigger build-up. He's no shame, Warren, mate. No shame, Warren. Look, that, look, to be fair to Tim Gossage, a lot of that was said tongue-in-cheek. I love that. Oh, because they're all watching Ollie's last ride. Didn't Basil Zemplis tweet a picture and it wasn't actually a picture of a massive crowd watching Oliver? It was a piss take. Perth Wildcats. At the end of the day, Sammy Hargraves is right. 
Yeah, he's a good operator, Sammy. Good man. Nathan Lyons, 500th wicket. Chance to see Australia with 9,000. They go, oh, but it was only Mitch Marsh. I mean, so what? It's the Australian cricket team. If Perth don't want it, then just bloody secede, get your own currency and bugger off and leave the rest of Australia. Oh, we had the beaches calling. Pretty sure Melbourne's got a... Pretty sure Sydney has a beach. Pretty sure Brisbane has water during the summer, which can be attractive proposition, no doubt. Do you honestly buy that? Thank you, Tim. Thank you so much. 0457 736 736. Uh, bad management, Jules, by the Panthers. Didn't have Jerome signed. Maybe could have kept Crichton if Jerome was leaving. I think Crichton is the best centre by far. Loves an intercept, the best defensive centre by far, the best player they will miss, says Jeff. Uh, look, no, they couldn't have kept them all. That's the problem. Salary cap punishes success. Punishes success. Uh, it was at Paul Young. So now they're coming out of the Yes, it was Paul Young. Thank you, Scott from the Gold Coast. Uh, morning, Jimmy Require. Hello to you, Chair. Surely we play Perth v India first. Break them in half, set the punishment. Well, that's a thing. I'd love to see it. Oh, look, I'd love to see it at Perth. Just a rip in. 1-0 up. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? I'll wait and see, but Marnus is uh, certainly partial to it, as we heard. Gavin from Penrith, good morning to you, Gavin. I was only nine during the famous 1997 Super League ARL season. Looking back, if they hadn't had wasted so much money, could have kept all 22 or so teams. Had two divisions, a truly national footprint. No one's team would have had to merge or be punted from the league. A lot of what-ifs to emanate from that. I'm not sure they, you know, back at the time, 20, this is a thing they had to cull from 20. Different now, 2023, compared to what, 20, 30 years ago. Bigger population. You can sustain more teams now. You couldn't have at the time. Thank you for that. Uh, please, 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 the season's upon us. Dropkick Murphys. I'm seeing a theme here. A lot of people requesting Christmas tunes. Not sure they're going to get a run. I'll have a think about that during the break. Welcome back to the second hour of the program. Julian King with you on SEN Summer Mornings. Good morning to our friends and colleagues in Sydney tuning in via 1170 AM in Brisbane via SENQ 693 and 1620 on the Gold Coast and via the SEN app. Going to catch up with Stephen Farrow very, very shortly to talk United Cup tennis. Some big names and I like the idea that it is a mixed event. We need to see more of it in tennis, certainly more of it in golf. So I'll get his thoughts on that as well. 0457 736 736. Kramer from Brisbane. Hello, Kramer. Test cricket up here. We're all at beaches and lagoons, swimming pools because of the heat, but big bash on at night when it's cool or packed out. We've got a day-night test match against the West Indies coming up, Kramer. So I'll see if that logic still flies at the back end of January. Dave from Capalabar. Good morning to you, Dave. Uh, JK, it's an unfair argument to say people turn up to Sydney and Melbourne for the cricket, change those tests so they don't fall during the standard two weeks uh, people get off during Chrissy and see if they still get similar turnouts. I think they'd still get a better turnout than what you'd see in Perth. Now, Curdo, why are you so grinchy this morning, Curdo? No Christmas songs, please, Jill. I have to. The tribe has spoken. It's get festive. It's a Christmas week, and I like it. In fact, I love it. So we'll play a song uh, to lead the next hour of the program. I don't know what yet. Having said that, not to give myself a rap here, but Chris Rees driving home for Christmas. I set a very, very high benchmark yesterday on the program. To the point where 2AM Tommy's now got it in high rotation. So when his Spotify rap for the year 2024 comes out, that's going to be in his top three most played songs. Guaranteed. Nice to hear from you, Curto. McHugh, to be fair to the Brisbane crowds, I only used to go out on Friday night 8pm. <laughs> Thank you, McHugh. Marco. Jules, the only good memory I have of Super League and all those years ago was seeing the end of it. Did nothing to improve rugby league in any way. Long may Super League be forgotten. Yeah. 
Look, the thing about it is it was perhaps a circuit breaker. People likened it or compared it to World Series cricket. Getting the players to be paid what they deserve to be paid. And I've got no problem with that. I just hate to see rifts in the game. I really do. And I'm glad they came back together. Now, I heard the Brecky boys talking about this this morning. They spoke to Aussie Boxing World Champ Jai Apatea, who, as you know, you may have seen this story, blown up at the IBF. He's forced Jai to vacate his cruiserweight belt after he decided to take a, a huge payday in Saudi Arabia. 670 grand, to be honest. And Ben Damon reported that he's going to land, yeah, so six, uh, 670, so US $450,000, but taking part in a blockbuster card in the Middle East on December 23. He's going to take on England's Ellis Zorro. Reportedly has more than two mil coming his way in a three-fight deal that's in the works with the Saudis. Fighting on the Day of Reckoning card also has Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, Joseph Parker, Daniel Dubois. It means snubbing the IBF's mandatory title defence against Marais Breedis, is that how you say it, who Ipatea beat last year to win the belt despite suffering a broken jaw in two places. So Breedis was reportedly happy to allow Ipatea to fight Zorro first, but the IBF refused to back down, would have stripped Ipatea of his title if he fought Zorro. And he's filthy. He's absolutely filthy. He's currently training in Saudi Arabia, Jai Patea, head of the bout. So they left me with no choice, you know what I mean? A massive card I can't say no to, so they stripped me. Was it unfair? Or is this the case of kind of the, the live PGA split all over again? It's okay if you want to go fine, take the cash. But as it stands, mandatory challenger, you've got to just bide your time. There'll be smarter minds out there that follow boxing a bit more closely than I do. You may have a thought on that. Now... Parents, if you've got young kids out there, do you do the elf on the shelf? So I've been doing it with my eight-year-old son, Noah, who's sort of clued on that as mum and dad, and my four-year-old daughter. And they spring out of bed in the morning. They don't say good morning. The first thing they do is jump out. I want to see what the elves are doing. And the other night, I forgot to move them. Any parents out there that do the elf on the shelf that, you know, you fall asleep or whatever, you get caught up or you're tired and you just forget. You forget to move them. I did that. And I felt like such a bad parent to the point where I had to kind of you know, making an excuse, oh, you, you must have touched it. I know, because you kids were yelling and fighting yesterday and Santa doesn't like that. The L's report back, so therefore they didn't move. It is hard being a parent. It's really hard being a parent around Christmas time. And the elf on the shelf, and Tommy was saying, it wasn't a thing in his day. It certainly wasn't a thing in my day. So I'm trying to think when it sort of started to become in vogue or popular, maybe the last few years. The elf on the shelf, and some people get really, really creative with it. You jump online and, and look at some of the pictures. Very, very clever. You literally run out of ideas. So that's another reason I'm counting down the days to Christmas so I don't have to then think about what to do with these bloody elves. Although what we did last year, we've got to find a better way to stash them because we put it at the top of the hallway cupboard. My son saw it ajar. He goes, what's the elf doing there, Dad? Oh, maybe he's just come to check on you. They're getting too, too smart. Started 2005, apparently. There you go. I wasn't aware of it until probably three, four years ago. It must be, an, assuming it's an American trend, but any parents out there, do you do the elf on the shelf for the kids? And have you ever forgotten to move them one night? As if we don't have enough on our plate, we've got this to contend with. Please no Christmas songs, says Tony. Not everyone here follows an imaginary figure. Think about that, Tony. I mean, yeah, Christmas has obviously Christian origins, but in a sense, it's a secular celebration too, is it not? I'm not particularly religious, but I love it this time of year. It's a time of, of coming together, a family, of giving generosity of spirits, all of those things. And if you must do a Christmas song, how about Six White Boomers? Curdo, now you're taking the you-know-what. You, you know we can't do that. Oh, you know what I will do, though? 
I did say, and I did fight it last week. I reckon um, Santa never made it to Darwin. I'm probably going to have to play that. In fact, I will play that at some point this week. And I want to get your thoughts as well. The hottest ticket in town off the back of 25,000 tickets sold for the Matildas. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, you know, hear all those uh, football aficionados say to the politicians, oh, we're keeping our receipts. It's all well and good to, to rock up, to wear the scarves and say, we love this team, but they're not to help the growth of the sport in this country once the lights go off and the carnival rolls on. But the interest has certainly not waned and not dimmed in the Matildas because of the back of their FIFA World Cup success and that incredible run. Well, every time they play, they're getting huge, huge numbers. And you might say that it's the most marketable team in Australian sport at the moment. Hottest tickets, 0457 736 736 is the text line number. Speaking of hot tickets, I reckon United Cup. There is a really hot ticket. If you love your tennis, and you know tennis, not just cricket, but tennis is synonymous with summer in this country. It runs from Friday, December 29 to Sunday, January 7. A mixed team tennis event It's going to launch the Australian summer. And I'm pleased to say that the tournament director, Stephen Farrow, is on the line right now. Stephen, good morning. Good morning. Pleasure to be with you. Uh, thank you so much for sparing some time. You know, this is great. It's funny, I was driving into work this morning and I saw one of the, the posters on the on the bus stop saying, you know, Stefano Tsitsipas and, and Felix the Canadian. And jo- so some big, big names coming down under for this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, th- this is a magnificent event to kickstart the Australian Summer of Tennis. Like you said, we've got some of the biggest names in world tennis coming to compete for big ranking points, big prize money. But above all, it's for national pride. It's 18 teams spread across two cities in Perth and in Sydney. And as you said, I mean, in Sydney, we've got Stefano Tsitsipas. We've got Maria Zachary, we've got Alexander Zverev, Angelique Kerber, Kasparu. There are so many big names coming to play tennis here, which is really, really exciting. Just tell us a bit, Stephen, about the history of it. So this, did this replace the old ATP Cup, did it? It did. It replaced the old ATP Cup. Obviously, the ATP Cup was purely involved the men. Our longer-term plan at Tennis Australia was always to involve that event into one in which both the, the women and the men could come and come and compete in. And it really reflects the United Cup, something that's truly special about tennis, which is that it is a sport that is played at the very highest level by both male and female players. And to be able to bring those players together and have those fantastic combinations like Zverev and Kerber uh, for Germany is, is really exciting and really showcases something that's not just special about tennis, but also just more broadly in the landscape. I mean, that opportunity to offer that platform for quality is really important and it makes for a brilliant unique tennis event there is so much appetite for a team's event in tennis and what is as you know Stephen a a highly individualized sport you know we had the Hopman Cup uh, here for a long time which was sort of it's a good way to to start the new year especially if you had a bit of a headache I suppose on on January 1 there had been a bit of criticism about the changes to the Davis Cup in Australia having having lost that final but is is there a a buy-in from the players for these sorts of teams events Oh, absolutely. The players love playing uh, team tennis. If you look at tennis more generally, recreationally, people love to play as part of a team anyway. I mean, that's what people are playing in the clubs around the country. And players are, are no different. A lot of these players would have played together um, when they were much younger and on, on sort of travelling tours and in teams and all that sort of thing. So really, it's sort of bringing them back together. Um, as you say, tennis is very much an individual sport. But for a player to be able to play in that team environment is special, but also very special to play for your country as well. We saw last year in this event, I mean, I remember seeing at uh, Ken Rosewall Arena, we had Greece against Italy in the semi-final, and the level of the intensity 
of that of the match when Sitsipas was playing Berrettini. Mm. You had pretty much a full house here in Sydney. And it, it just matters that much more when you're playing for your team and when you're playing for your country. And that's something very unique that the United Cup offers. And it's a very, very special aspect of this tournament. Yeah, it's a lovely tune-up for the Australian Open, of course, and a chance for these players to get acclimatised to, to what we know are extremely hot conditions in Australia. What I love about this, and, and we don't see enough of it in tennis or golf for that matter, is the mixed element, the mixed doubles. Yeah, it's great. I, I, it's, it's great. And to see the very top players playing mixed doubles is yep. not something that you normally see in the yep. tennis calendar. Um, with one eye this year, of course, and 2024, leading to the Paris Olympics as well, when a lot of the top players will play mixed. I mean, that adds an extra element this year, those United Cup combinations. But so when else would you see um, the likes of Novak Djokovic play mixed doubles? He's been playing with Olga Danilovic of Serbia. When would you see Zverev play with Kerber, Sitsipas play with Sakari? It yeah. doesn't happen very often. And to see those like stars of the sport on both the WTA and ATP tours competing together is something very special. And this year, we've evolved the United Cup format as well. So it's now one men's singles, one women's singles, and a mixed doubles in each session, which puts even greater emphasis on that mixed doubles. And it's sure to see all the top players play because it's going to be absolutely essential to their chances of progression in this event. Correct. So, yes, we're talking about the hottest ticket in town today. This is certainly one of those 18 countries, nine in each city. You mentioned there one men's singles, one women's singles, and a mixed doubles matcher. Any thought down the track, I suppose, you know, it's tough given the time period of maybe expansion? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but you know, we have got a limited amount of time in that build-up to the Australian Open. What we're definitely seeing with this event is um, a sense of momentum behind it. You know, we're only into the second year, so we're still growing and we're still establishing ourselves. But what we're seeing, both in terms of the fan reaction and the ticket sales, and also the player um, reaction as well. I mean, this year's player field across both cities is incredible. We've got. Igor Sviantek, the women's world number one. Novak Djokovic, the men's world number one. We've got Storm Hunter of, in, in the Australian team. Yeah. Obviously, the women's world doubles number one as, as well in, in the competition, as well as all the big names that we've talked about in Sydney. So it's very quickly established itself, this event, as one that the top players want to play. And I think that, above all else, really is the test of, of, of what we've managed to achieve in a very short space of time. So... No, we're really excited about this year. I mean, it, it's, um, it's a great opportunity to see some great players in action. Um, you know, tickets for this event will be a, a great Christmas present. And whatever session you're, you, you choose to attend, you're going to see a top player, which is something that's unique and very special about this event as well. Correct. The Australian team led by the Newcomb medalist, Alex Demon. And the other thing I like about this too, Stephen, is that it, it's not an exhibition. Some suggest that maybe it has a, a whiff of exhibition about it, but with ranking points up for grabs, they are taking this very seriously. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a $15 million event. It's maximum of 500 ranking points, men's and women's. Uh, it's very it's, it's very important, um, and the players do take it very seriously. And again, if, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You look at how the players competed last year in this event. You know, the Croatian team, I remember they were absolutely heartbroken not to progress. I mean, they, in the end, they didn't progress because they lost one mixed double side because the, type, the teams were level and there was a count back and, and looking at how they'd done in the competition. They were heartbroken not to get through last year. We saw here when the Greeks lost to the Italians, and I referred to it before in the semi-finals in Sydney, uh, there, there were tears, and they are very 
very, very excited about coming back and winning the competition. This event certainly matters to the players. And when you've got massive prize money and massive ranking points on the line, it matters. But actually just that opportunity to compete and compete for your country means it takes on that extra element. So one thing the United Cup definitely delivers is a very intense, engaging um, experience watching the great sport of tennis. Indeed. Friday 29th of December to Sunday 7th of January. Just go to the best thing to do would be to go to the website, Stephen, unitedcup.com. Absolutely. And all the ticket details are there. But yep. it's a great Christmas present. Tickets are very affordable. And as I said, it's a, it will be a great experience whichever session that you come to because there are so many great players coming to play this event. Correct. In Perth and in Sydney, tickets on sale now. Adult tickets from 40 bucks. Kids from just $20. You're right. And family tickets to $100. So... A great Christmas present and highly affordable. Best of luck. We'll be watching with great interest. Stephen Farrow, thank you so much for your time on the program this morning. Thanks for having me. There he is. Stephen Farrow, the tournament director of the United Cup. So big names there. $15 million prize money and rankings points. So they're going to take it seriously. Think about Stefano Sitsipas, Maria Sakkari, Alexander Zverev, Angelique Kerber, you know, Alex Demon also. Big, big names. Big, big names. A nice little lead up to the Australian Open. Australia Open final. That'll be one of the hottest tickets in town. 0457 736 736, the text line number. Sunny Coast Dragons. I've got two noms on the program this morning. I second the season upon us by the Dropkick Murphys, one of the top three Christmas songs of all time. Well, that is a debate for another day, Sunny Coast Dragon. Don't know if it's going to get on because we've got a long, long list. Jules' hottest ticket. I'd pay to watch the Dragons play anyone in an NRL grand final. There isn't Stadium Australia to hold a number. <laughs> Thank you, Dragonfly. That'd be nice. You know, I still whack on the DVD of 2010 just to bring some joy in my life, Dragonfly. Oh, at least we had success. You know, think about those poor suffering Parramatta fans ever won since 86. I mean, you know, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Do you think Parra are going to make the eight this year? Or this year, or this season, I should say. Very interesting question. And Reptile, before we get to the break, we need to do something about ex-plays in the media with the bleeding heart syndrome. In the earlier show, everything Missile said made 100% sense. Jimmy went the other way and went a soft approach to Junior amongst the six weeks, which is a joke. You're talking about Junior and mine. Now, look, it's nothing wrong with having a difference of opinion here, though, Reptile. Some take a hard-line stance. Some are a bit more in your terms bleeding hard. I've been called woke plenty of times in the program, Reptile. I said I wear it as a badge of honour. But as said, there's no ceiling in opinion here, and that's a beautiful thing about doing what we do. Always good to hear your thoughts, Reptile. Thank you. Simon, Jules, I'm expecting Melbourne crowds to get behind the Boxing Day test for the first three days, expecting a more polished performance from Pakistan. They'll be playing a front-line spinner. Yeah, I think they have to. A wishful thinking on my part. I think we'll get much closer contest to Melbourne. I, I don't know. I don't know. I spoke to Bryce McGain yesterday in the program. He thinks the Melbourne pitch is actually going to be similar to Perth. Perhaps not as variable, maybe not as dangerous. But you're going to get a lot of that bounce. Traditionally, per, uh, Melbourne had always had that kind of trampoline bounce kind of pitch. But he thinks we'll see conditions are not dissimilar to Perth, which doesn't bode well for Pakistan. They showed some resilience in the first innings. You know, the bowlers showed glimpses. The problem is they can't put it together for a session or more than a session. And that's the problem. It's not that they lack ability. It's just that they lack cohesion. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Steve from Dubbo. Hello, Steve. Jules, I'm not sure if you're aware that you're in the presence of greatness. Well, that's debatable. The great 2am Tommy, or two roles Tommies we're calling him today, is the greatest tipster 
this side of the equator, his picture should grace the walls of SEN headquarters. Look, we had enough people blowing smoke up the proverbial of Tommy yesterday. We don't need you to continue that trend today, Steve from Dubbo. Is he that good of a tipster? <laughs> Give yourself a wrap, Thomas. I, I want to know what his tips, maybe as an outsider, that, that others haven't. It's all well and good to, to label people. It's like saying this place is a match winner, but they don't actually win matches when you drill down into the figures. So I want to do a bit of a deeper dive into whether your suggestion that Tommy is a great tipster rings true or whether it's sheerly or, or purely trading on reputation. one 1170 is the open line number. Breaking back with me. Okay, so Stevie from Dubbo's got back in touch. My bank account will suggest, sir, uh, two rolls Tommy has got runs on the board. Don't worry about power jills. We'll be there grand final day. Stay tuned after full time to watch Moses get the Clive Churchill. Uh, I don't think even two rolls Tommy's going to tip that for you, Steve. I don't. Now, I did mention that when Shane Richardson, Cody K, tweeted this, or exed it, that Shane Richardson, when asked about the prospect of luring Rome Luai to the Tigers early, he simply replied, not no, but rather no comment. So people started speculating. Brian Fletcher from the Panthers was asked the same question. He said, no chance. That is what I call unequivocal. So no chance. So Jerome Luai will be at Penrith this year. I know we like to speculate and talk about these things. He'll be at Penrith this year. Jules, says Paramount, I would love to have gone to any of the days of the first test. Unfortunately, I was confined to barracks with the effing virus. Uh, effing stands for as luck would have it tested negative just in time to return to work on Monday <laughs> typical guaranteed you'll be graced for the presence of Paramount at various days of the Indian test at the England test damn straight Paramount I know you're a patriot uh, scuba Steve hottest tickets Taylor Swift wife and daughter going for the weekend uh, got the house to myself <laughs> when it, that's not till what is it February you'd know there so Taylor Swift February Did you might have seen this on social media doing the rounds yesterday if indeed you have social media and it might have been her at a KC game cheering on Travis Kelsey, her, her bow. And Taylor's got her left arm in the air. And somebody rather cleverly said, it's just me. Does it look like she's coming in a bowl left arm wrist spin? And once you see it, you can't take your eye off it. And then it's unleashed and people start putting cricket balls in there. It was very, very good. And as talented as she is, she'd probably land up on a dime too, wouldn't she? She'd be like the uh, like a Michael Bevan, wouldn't she? Left arm wrist spin. Yeah, that game against the West Indies, Michael Bevan. You get a Pfeiffer, as well as a handful of runs. Well, Steve Warris said Michael Bevan, very good wrist spinner, as was Simon Cadditch for that matter. Uh, not sure about Christmas carols, but every year at Christmas time, says Western Sydney Eagle, I watch the Bad Santa movie, great stuff. Yeah, it is a good Christmas movie, Western Sydney Eagle. I can't watch it with my kids, and I think you understand why I can't watch it with my kids. And from Western Sydney Eagle to Berkeley Eagle, not sure if it has the same effect on radio. If you need a good laugh, go to YouTube and type in 12 Days of Xmas, Hey, Hey, Red Faces. Uh, they were very un-PC back in the day. Some of the stuff they got away with and said on uh, Hey, Hey, Saturday can't be done and said in this day and age. And Simon says, no, having no family. Oh, that's rather sad, Simon. My favourite part of the Christmas period is the Boxing Day test and the following day hot cross buns go on. The, that's it. And guarantee there's going to be hot cross bun sightings. People go, all right, take photos at, at Coles and Woolies and... Various green grocers, or grocery stores rather, so hot cross buns already on the shelf. The question is, I mean, they're bloody delicious hot cross buns. Why are they only confined to the Easter period? That's what I want to know. 
Josh Can has been signed as a local replacement player for the Adelaide Strikers. Starting with tonight's clash with Sydney Thunder, no stranger to the Big Bash, Can has previously been on the Hobart Hurricanes and Sydney Sixers list. And Rafael Nadal has shown good progress in training since recovering from a hip injury, but his coach says he's still worried about how his body will hold up for the Australian Open. In the A-League action last night, G. Wellington impressed 3-0 over MacArthur, inflicting on MacArthur FC their first loss of the season. So New Wellington, outright leaders at the top of the A-League table by one point over the victory. Uh, so there's 17 points. The Phoenix, a victory on 16. Then the Wanderers, 15, alongside MacArthur FC in their one. So that's the top four in the Brisbane Roar, just outside on 14. The thing about it is, and this is interesting, Campbelltown Stadium, you know the knock on MacArthur is that they don't get crowds. 4,893, you might say, okay, that's not much. It's, it's about half of what they got to Perth for the final day of the Test match. But a Monday night, 4893, Campbelltown Monday, does that seem high to you? Second highest crowd for MacArthur against a non-Sydney team. The highest is 5,126 back in 2021. Also against the Phoenix. Is there, like a, is there a swathe of New Zealanders living in that part of the world? But that's really curious. The two highest crowds against a non-city team have both been against Wellington Phoenix, 5126 in 2021, and then last night, 4893 at Campbelltown Stadium where MacArthur went down 3-0 to Wellington. We'll catch up with Simon Hill, uh, the voice of football, in the next hour of the program, of course, host of the global game, 0457 736 736. Dan suggests that we play with English comedy, 12 Days of Christmas, hilarious and clean for radio. Uh, I'll take your word, Dan, but we'll probably have to vet it Anyway, Kingy, are you insane? Hot cross buns are one of the most rank food products. No, Rooster Mars. I'll tell you what I can't cop, the, the choc chip ones. Just the classic and the plain, the kids ones. My kids can eat currants in their hot cross buns, thank you very much. They have rather developed palates. Time for two rolls, Tommy, to throw the coinage on the table. Hot cross buns, Tommy. Morning, Jules, all the listeners out there. Great to be here again. Yeah, I love all varieties of hot cross buns, normal ones. Chalk chip. Chalk chip. Mm. What's wrong with the chalk no, chip ones? No, no, no. See, I'm, I'm, very, I'm a stickler for tradition, as you know. I, I like traditional hot cross buns, the X on the top, a few of the know, currants or, or raisins or whatever you have in them. There's room for everyone, Jules. That room is, for everyone. Yeah, that, all shapes and sizes, all different no, forms no, of hot cross buns. If you like it, eat it. I'm just um, saying it's not for me. Can I just say, so you just briefly mentioned the A-League. Yep. And so they played last night, the Phoenix and MacArthur FC. So the previous, the Phoenix had a terrible record on Mondays. The previous 17 times they've played on a Monday, the Phoenix had managed just three draws and 14 losses. So that's their first win after 17 Monday night games. Okey-dokey. So they played Do They Know It's Christmas on the breakfast show this morning, headed up by Bob Geldof, of course, um, Live Aid and Band Aid and the rest of it. Uh, maybe he needs to rework the lyrics of the Boomtown Rat song, Tell Me Why I Don't Like Mondays, mm. to have reference to Wellington Phoenix. Can I just say, yep. when we get that 18th team in, whenever it's going to happen, 2027, looking most likely with the PNG team, yep. I want a Monday night fixture every single round. Monday night football. Did you like Monday night football? Of course I liked no, Monday night football. You I, didn't I like prefer, it? I prefer the Thursday to the Monday. Uh, yeah, I don't mind. I, why can't we have both? Yeah, well, you don't have to. I think it would just be, I love Monday night football. It's no, great. I, just, I don't know. It's a Monday. For me, it's like Sunday night. That is the end of the week for me. And then Monday, start of a new week, and you look forward to the following weekend. That, that's how I've always 
understood. I'm just thinking as well from like a bit of a selfish point of view here at SEM. We've got a game, to, another game to talk about on a Tuesday morning. So yeah, I mean, that's true. It's just amazing. Not that we're ever short of things to talk con- about, mind you. Especially during the footy yeah, season. And you, well, that is true. And we're speaking about the footy, and it's the 19th of December. Isn't that crazy? Jimmy and Missile spoke about it this morning about how 90% of their texts was coming in about Jerome Luai. We've had a bit of mix and bit of variety mm. this morning, but... It's it's it is amazing, and uh, I mean I know Kerry O'Keefe had those comments a few weeks ago talking about how you know the love of cricket has gone down. I wouldn't, I mean yes, a little bit, but also let people just love what they love. If people love talking about footy, let them talk about footy twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year if that's what they want correct, to do. Correct. It's look, it was a big story. It was absolutely a big story. The rugby league lovers here on this network. The other thing too is that it depends what you want to talk about. So if I focus on the cricket. I tend to get more texts about the cricket. If I want to say, let's talk about Jerome Luai, I'll get a lot of texts about Jerome Luai. And then, of course, in the middle of the football season this year, we had the small matter of the Ashes. Yes, we And did. we had a stack of Ashes correspondence, and it rated its socks off. And then when we started the NRL season as well, right as that happened, it was the it was the start of the Indian series as well in India. Yeah. And that was a calamity towards the end. Remember the sweeping sensation that happened in, what was that, the second test? Mm. Where we all just decided to sweep and, yeah, and lose all of our wickets. Alex Gary as well, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. That was fascinating. But speaking of footy, this Jerome Luai situation. So you read out those tweets from Cody K before about Shane Richardson saying no comment. Brian Fletcher, the Panther CEO, saying he's not going to go anywhere. I'm, I'm just a bit. It's, it, I find it bizarre how Jerome Luai misses a training session and then we just go from one end of the spectrum to the other and say, well, hang on, can the Tigers get him for 2024? Like he hasn't said anything. Oh, no, he, uh, no. he, he, sorry, he did say something on social media where he d- he downplayed the story and said nothing's been nothing's no pen has been put to paper yep. because he's still in that ten day cooling off period. But then to have stories, I'm not I'm not going at or criticizing the the journalists here. I'm just saying it, it's crazy how the pendulum can swing so heavily in terms of Jerome Luai missing training, Jerome Luai telling his Panthers teammates that he by the looks of it, is not going to be there in 2025. And then so the conversation starts straight away about could he join the Tigers in 2024? Well, this is a case of people trying to read between the lines and seeing things that are not there necessarily. We don't know. But again, I will bang this door down. It is a reflection. We are only having this conversation because the NRL allows this conversation to be had in the first place. By allowing players to sign so far in advance, you are then putting the possibility out there, all right, could we get that player a year early? Could we get that player a season early, six months early? It's just it makes a mockery of the whole situation, in my opinion. It is what it is, though, right? So even if why, why, officially, why? no, but I mean, you I don't want why to go over this again like because that? you know what you, you know what Clint Newton's rationale is when it comes to this sort of thing. Well, if the players are allowed to, they can shore up their future. They've got a short time of the game, blah blah blah. Fine, I see it like that. You can tidy up the optics of it, but it doesn't end speculation necessarily, right? I'm not saying it has to end speculation. Co- yeah, but then if your speculation's still there, we'll still be talking about it, whether it's official or not. No, but my, my thing is, why can't you just have a, a ratified or a, um, an official window at, say, a, an end of the season? The speculation's still going to be rife throughout the season, sure, but, I mean, I, I still don't want to have a player on my books when they've already signed for another team next year. It's just silly, in my opinion. Okay, okay. But then at what point? So if it's not a year out, then what is it? Six months out? Three you have months to, out? You have the window after the grand final. So you have a week only, after so, the grand so final. So you're saying that no one can sign until, what, a month before preseason training starts at a new club? Well, it happens in nearly every single league across the world. Why does the NRL think it's so um, individual in that sense? We, we then, saw Kirk, the Broncos gave Kurt Catwell permission 
to seek out a longer-term deal at a rival club. Yeah. In the space of a week and a half, Kirk Catewell has left the country, toured the Warriors' facilities with Andrew Webster, yeah. and signed a three-year deal with that yeah. club. Yeah. That's how quickly these deals can be ratified. Yeah, sure. But and there are also it has em- to be that but way. No, because it can no, be that way. No, right? but, uh, but then there are also employees at said clubs that can help with players um, getting houses, putting kids in their schools, you know, finding all those little um, particulars that what a player's um, – that's what they – I don't want to use the word complain, but that's some of the explanations they use when they talk about oh, needing this security in 18 months out. Okay, so then you're only happy with that. What What if we then brought it back to, say, June 30? Oh, again, I still don't like it. No, no, but, I mean, these guys you, – you're telling me that all of a sudden, if you've got a player on your team, say oh, – could be anyone. Say it's Luke Keary. You know that Luke Keary, at the back end of his career, is signed with, say, the Dragons for next year. He's got six months left to play for the Roosters. You can't tell me that all of a sudden, with that knowledge, that Luke Keary is not going to do anything but put in for his club. I'm not questioning his commitment. I'm just saying it's not a good look. I don't like it. I don't think people care that much, do they? I think they do. Given the reaction we've had on the text line the last few years, do you, when, do you th- do you whenever Penrith, this happens. Okay, but do you think Penrith fans are going to be upset with Jerome Luai because he said, you know, I want to go to the other Tigers? Or no. Stephen, like Stephen Crichton. Stephen Crichton was arguably their be- outside of Cleary, probably their best player. Well, you know, they had a lot of good players, but one of their best players last year clearly had no impact on the input he gave to Penrith despite the fact that he was going to the Dogs. I just don't like it. I'm sorry, I just don't like it. Mm. Just... I don't like it. Thank you, Pauline. Not yet. I don't like it. <laughs> Oh four five seven seven three six. You got a tip for us, Steve from Dubbo. Well, is just the, the waiting, re, the waiting, reason, waiting. He's listening to the wireless. He's got his spiral notepad and his pen. To, ready. to provide yeah. some context, the reason Steve from Dubbo says that is because um, throughout the year on Sunday crunch time, yep. um, before the end of the show, you might remember we did. You filled in a few times. We shared out our anytime try scorers mm. for the two p.m. and the four p.m. or sometimes the six p.m. games. And there were a few weeks in a row there where I got the anytime try scorer. I remember. Before was it that Titans game with four and scored? Yeah, you said, oh, it was a milestone game. No, 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 that was that was missile. But grandfather, was, no, but he didn't get the bet on. No, and he's driving home. So you know, he before, just scored. Him. Is he kidding it was me? before when the Melbourne Storm beat the Canberra Raiders forty-eight points to two. If you remember that down at Amy Park, and I said, get on Christian Welsh first try, uh, anytime try scorer. Yeah. Jimmy Smith then looked up and down at me and said, you're an idiot. He hasn't scored since 2020. You've never played first grade. Eddie scored, you know? Eddie scored the first try. Yeah. And I also got on Stefano Uto Ikamanu as well when they smashed the Cowboys a few months ago as well. Uh-huh. You like you a bit of value with the I like the pr- I like the props um, crashing over. Right. That's what I like. Um, one more thing before I go. Talking about the Perth crowds. Yep. Um, and how much, you know, is that going to have... Is it going to have an effect on the Sydney crowds or the Melbourne crowds? And we've we've said no because crowds show up at the SCG and they show up at the MCG. Well, Stuart Fox, the head of the MCC, was speaking on SEN Brecky down in Melbourne, and this is what he had to say in terms of how many fans they're expecting for this year's Boxing Day test. Um, I'd certainly be hoping for some big numbers. You know, look, day one, you'd want to push over 70,000, day two, 60,000. So, look, I, I still think we can have really strong numbers for Pakistan and you know, the agenda ahead of Pakistan for the next three or four years is just outstanding. So there's going to be some huge patronage in years to come. That's why Melbourne call themselves the sporting capital of Australia, right? They show, they show up to the opening of an envelope. Over 70,000 there, and mm. what they get, 9,000 on the final day at Optus Stadium. It's an iconic event. It's the day after Christmas. People want to get out and do so. I, I get all that, and that 
to a degree, does inflate the numbers. But that's they're pretty decent figures, aren't they? They got just yeah. under 65,000 last year against yeah. South Africa on day one. I was mm. part of that 65,000. It was great to be there. Yeah. Um, the year before the Ashes and the year before that, 2020, they were both COVID-affected. But 2019 against New Zealand, they got 80,000. So I think they'll get just above 60. I don't know if they'll crack the 70,000 barrier. Uh, Stephen Dubbo's back in touch. You got Stefano first time try scorer and Welsh. You just mentioned that, Steve. Yeah, well done. And a reptile. G'day, Shagger. Hundred percent agree with Tommy. This is just the players having too much power and trying to dictate terms. Well, it's a players' association. Is what it is. You know, I keep coming back to the example of McInnes. Well, he signed a year out for Cronulla. Did his knee. You know, would his value have gone down if he had to sign after the knee injury? So I can see it from both sides. It's not a perfect system. There's no such thing as a perfect system. I think we've got to crack on with it. Thank you, Tommy. Let's take a break. I don't want tips from Tommy now. Keep your powder dry to footy season. Strongly suggest you take the $23 of Parramatta, though, before they firm as favourites. You see it? Boom. There you go. I would agree with Tommy. Don't always agree with Tommy, but I do on this occasion. And I, look, I live in the area. I've got a soft spot for the Eels. There's no way they're winning the comp next year. No way. Lee, though, says, just punt on Christian McCaffrey to score a touchdown every week for the 49ers. Well, he'd have to be pretty good money. Premier running back in the game, arguably. Christian McCaffrey. Thank you for that, Lee. 0457 736 736, the text line number. Uh, Marco says, morning, Julian. The 220 comps around the world of the... Of course, the IPL with the money involved will attract players and coaches. The Big Bash, many overseas players only come for a few games and leave well before the finals. It's just money. It's not about winning the Big Bash title. Yeah, but you make a commitment to coach the side. You make a commitment to coach the side. Not to say that you're not committed to your IPL team, but surely you can send a proxy or a surrogate or a representative. Know what they have to do. There's a lot of smart people in and around those teams. So you're the coach. Say, look, spend how many crore on this particular player if they're up for grabs? I at the moment, have other business to attend to because I'm committed to coaching the Sydney Thunder. I just It doesn't sit comfortably with me, but it shows you where the centre of power is in global cricket. And when they're going to expand the tournament even further, it's going to encroach upon other calendars. It's going to be a massive problem, a greater fracturing of the player ranks. We talked about this on the program yesterday. Nathan Lyon, 500 test wickets. Who's the next bowler that's going to get to 500 test wickets? Ash, Ashwin's there. But outside of that, in a generation's time, is anybody ever again, like born today, when they're born in the last 10 years, will a future test cricketer get to 500 test wickets? It's a genuine question and a reasonable question. We're seeing less test cricket played. So you've still got five test series between Australia, England and India. Outside of that, South Africa don't want to play more than a two test series. No money in it. Sri Lanka don't want to play more than a two test series. No money in it. The West Indies, well, their test future's hanging by a thread. Bugger all in their centralised contracts. So players now raised in this environment of white ball cricket will say, well, I'll just tailor my game to become a white ball specialist. Yeah, test cricket looks good, but there's so much more money. So Mitchell Stark's on 338, but, I mean, Mitchell Stark's on the wrong side of 30. So there's another, what, What's the maths there? 172, 162 more wickets. If you average, even if you average, say, 30 wickets a year, 40 wickets, I mean, that's another five years for Stark maybe to get there. I'm just spitballing here. That's a hard thing to attain. 
So the last two to get there were Broad and Anderson, but they are Red Bull specialists. You basically have to be a Red Bull specialist now if you want to get to 500 test wickets. So Nathan Lyon doesn't play white ball cricket. Broad and Anderson gave up the white ball stuff a long time ago. But if you're playing all three formats, what you're going to see is you're going to see a T20 team play at the same time as the test team. You will see overlap. In which case, what are you going to choose? What are you going to choose? And by and large, because of the riches involved in the white ball stuff, the younger generation is going to say, well, I'm going to be a, a white ball specialist. That is the reality which we face. Breaking back with more. Santa never made it into Darwin. Disaster struck at dawn on Christmas Day. Charity song, 1975, Santa Never Made It Into Darwin by Bill and Boyd, of course, on the back of Cyclone Trace. I've talked about this a number of times in the lead up to Christmas. Uh, my mum and dad, before I was born, but were living in Darwin with my older brother. And they were visiting my mum's family in Sydney for Christmas. And sure enough, Tracy ripped through Darwin, destroyed our house, flattened everything, lost a lot. And I had to go and rebuild. So that is our Christmas song today. Here's a trivia question for you for our cricket nuffies. Name the only Australian test cricketer, in fact, the only cricketer, test cricketer to be born in Darwin. The only Aussie cricketer, test cricketer, Australian cricketer, in fact, international cricketer, to be born in Darwin. You know the answer to that? 0457 736 736. Going to catch up with Simon Hill from the Global Game shortly on the program. To the open line we go, 1300 01 1170. Morning, Shane. Jules, there you go, mate. Not bad. You'd be aware of when uh, Tracy hit Darwin, more than half the population left and was scattered to Perth, Sydney, Brisbane, Hobart, Adelaide, and they never returned. They lost a, a whole generation a lot. of yep. people, yeah. Yeah, well, my, what, what happened, so we were down in Sydney, as I said, for, for Christmas for Mum's family, and they had to rebuild the city. Mm. So Dad then, they relocated to Brisbane. I was eventually born in Brisbane and then moved back to Darwin, but yeah, for a number of years... Lived in Brizzy, so really? scattered. I think eventually, I don't know, but a few of them returned. But you're absolutely right; they they scattered, but they had to. I mean, the, the place was levelled, Shane. Yeah, yeah, it was demolished. Um, look, just on uh, Tommy's comments about um, bringing the um, transfer fee in the line, the clubs would love this. Imagine, imagine having a player and saying, "Listen, we, we can't talk to you after the grand final." Say, look, how about you come back to pre-season training and we discuss a thing with you? Mm. Mate, the clubs would say, mate, look, we can't really fit you in, but we can give you this much. The clubs would love it. They would have a field day. They'd probably even get together and say, listen, offer him that much. We'll we'll lower that. We'll do this. Mate, the clubs would love it. Do you remember when they had the old June 30 deadline? So you're not allowed to talk to anyone, but sure enough, you know, July 1 and everybody's signing contracts. You know, this stuff goes on behind the scenes. At the point I made, Shane, the speculation never dies down, does it? So whether it's hmm. official or not, we'll still be talking about this stuff because inevitably it gets out. Yeah, but at least this gives the players some protection. And this, is the, this was the number one Clint Newton wanted, and the players wanted it. Look at Cam McGuinness. Yep. Now... If he never signed that contract, six hundred grand a year for four years of the Sharks, you know what he would have been doing the next. You know what he would have been. Yeah, you know where he would have been the next next year. Where? 
He would have been playing with Newtown in Metro Cup. Mm. That's a mate. That's a dead. They would have given him nothing. They said, "Mate, you're coming back from a knee reconstruction. We'll give you two hundred grand for a year." Value goes down. Yeah, I, I've made that point. Yeah. And Clint Newton cited that as an example. Right, it is what it is. And, exactly. But you know, it, it happens. Players get injured all the time, all the time. Yeah. So uh, I, I can see it from both sides. Look, there's no perfect system, is there, Shane? And uh, but. Uh, Stephen Crichton, for example, we knew that he was going to the Bulldogs. Don't think it mm. don't think it affected his form or his commitment to the Panthers badge. No, it, it didn't. And look, I, I don't know about Lou. I, where there's smoke, there is fire. The only way West Tigers could get out of it now, Lou is going to stay. He's still got six fifty left for this year, and he wants to. He wants another comp. But if West Tigers could give him a million, the only way they could do it. Is if they get rid of Sean Bloor early, because Melbourne won him, they've signed him for next for the season after. Get rid of him, and we'll take Nofaluma off their hands too. That frees up cash, so we so the Storm get Nofaluma and Sean Bloor. They get Luai, and everybody's happy. What did I read? If they wanted Luai this year, they'd have to pay about seven fifty, right? Because it's already been a preseason, mm-hmm. so Pendle have already paid him for for part way of the year. I mean, look, um, Brian Fletcher knocked him there. He said no chance is going. But interestingly, Shane Richards said no comment. No comment. Look, Shane Richards is a savvy operator. You know, he would be after reading that and seeing that with thinking, oh, doesn't hurt to ask the question. I, I don't think it'll happen. I really don't. But you know, it gives us something to talk about, doesn't it, Shane? Yeah, it does, mate. Stranger things have happened. You know, and people out there saying bag and West Tigers for spending the money on Luai, they have to do something. Yep. What else could they do? Yep. They had to get in the marketplace. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. You landed a big fish, right? So that's a carrot, obviously, but a chance to, to be part of a rebuild, and although Richard doesn't like that term, to do something. But the point is that he agreed. He agreed. So you're doing something right. You know, when, you, when you're back-to-back wooden spooners, you're not holding all the aces. So I commend the West Tigers for, for landing that big fish. Yeah, I think he wants to prove Ivan Cleary wrong too. You know, <laughs> doubting that he can't can't run a team. Yeah, Mate, it could be a lot. It could be a lightning rod for the whole team. Know your worth, as uh, your favourite artist Fitty said once, saying, "Shane, good on you, mate. I've got to go." Yeah, well, mate. See, See you, mate. buddy. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Just before we get to Simon Hill, morning, Jules. My question is, where does T Twenty sit in twenty years' time? It has been flogged to death like the fifty over game was during the eighties, nineties, and early two thousands. But there's even more of it, and it's everywhere. Greenkeeping rooster. I'm a traditionalist. Test cricket will always have a place in work. I agree. It is for me. But think about it. It's the generation coming up. And if you're raised in a diet of T20 and that's the only form of the game that you know, then they're going to love it. And there's a massive, massive appetite for it. Back to your text in a moment on 0457 736 736 where we catch up with the voice of football in this country every Tuesday on the program. Host of the Global Game back in the chair tonight alongside Alex Brosk. I speak of Simon Hill He's on the line right now. Morning, Simon. Hey, Julian. How are you? Going very well. You know, we're talking about, uh, on the program this morning, the hottest ticket in town. Matilda's game against Uzbekistan announced February next year, Marvel Stadium, already 25,000 tickets sold. Now, I made the point, you know, the politicians, they, they showed up during the World Cup, some with their scarves on, and you and a number of others have said, well, keep the receipts. It's all well and good to wave the flag and say you love the sport in yeah. this country, but we need to see material support. But it's nice to know that even once the lights have dimmed from the World Cup, that the appetite for the Matildas has not. Yeah, look, it's great. And, uh, you know, long may it continue um, without wishing to put it down on it. I mean, you, you made reference to the fact that the politicians were there with their scarves on in the stands, and that's right. And 
Uh, it, it's brilliant that so many fans want to go and watch the Matildas. Uh, we've got some great stars in the women's game at the moment. But what we really need to see as a sport is more investment in facilities. Now, I'm going to bring up an example uh, at the weekend where there was an A-League women's match played in Brisbane at Perry Park, which uh, myself and many other people have been banging on about for years uh, to get redeveloped. Uh, they actually had to close off a disabled access facility because it was in such a state of disrepair. Wow. That's what our football grounds are like, and I'm talking our code of football, all around the country. Uh, and it's all very well turning up with your scarf to World Cups. Uh, and, you know, these big internationals are great. Um, but at some point, you know, there'll be a dip. Uh, we saw this with the Socceroos 20 years ago. They got 95,000 uh, to watch a friendly against Greece at the MCG ahead of their first World Cup in 32 years. You know, these things ebb and flow, but the longer-term gains for the game have to be in facilities, and I'm afraid we're just not seeing that at the moment. Yeah, it's funny how people can tear themselves apart with regards to the best approach in terms of growing unifying the game in this country. Got a texter here, uh, no doubt. Simon Hill is one of the best broadcasters in the game, is he concerned about the TV ratings and crowd attendances for A-League games? So can you please put this to them? So there you go, a text question for you on the program this morning, Simon. Well, uh, thanks to your listener, and obviously you'll understand if I'm not able to talk about TV ratings because I actually work for the TV broadcaster. So I, I'll leave that for uh, for the suits or the authorities. <laughs> uh, in, terms, in terms of crowds, uh, I, they could be better. Uh, they are slightly up, actually, this season, um, despite all the doom and gloom talk. Not by much in the men's competition. They're up significantly in the women's, mm. uh, albeit starting from a, you know, a lower base. But there's no doubt that we've got <clears throat> excuse me, a lot more work to do at club level uh, to translate the interest at international level for the Socceroos, and particularly the Matildas at the moment, as you've mentioned, uh, into regular attendees at A-League matches. And look, you know, that's on the clubs. The lack of publicity doesn't help. Um, you know, we changed broadcasters a couple of years ago uh, because the previous broadcaster lost interest in it. They own, unfortunately, 70% of the mainstream media in this country. And because they are no longer invested in football, they tend not to give it too much coverage. Uh, that might increase over the next six months because uh, the Matildas contracts, along with the Socceroos, National Second Division Australia Cup, is up for grabs. So, you know... The media is a business uh, as well as sport. And, uh, you know, we, we've suffered a bit because of that. But there's no doubt there is a, a lot of work that needs to be done to improve crowds. They're not the only barometer of success, but they're a very visual uh, indicator of how well a competition is going. And at the moment, we're not doing well enough. Simple I, as that. I wonder, too, whether summer scheduling plays a role here, Simon. I think, was it last season, the Wanderers had a game at 3 o'clock might have been on a Saturday. Comeback Stadium, state-of-the-art yep. venue, but it's 35 degrees in the baking sun. And as much as I love seeing yep. live sport, that doesn't attract me to go to a game. Well, you know, football went to uh, being a summer sport many years ago because uh, the, the feeling was is that we needed the clear air, yep. in inverted commas, uh, of not being in the same season as the AFL and, and NRL. But, you know, times have changed. And uh, now sports, all sports really are 12 months a year. There are so many different events and uh, competitions that really that clear air has dissipated. Um, whether we need to look at the calendar, I know James Johnson 
a year or two back, the FA CEO was, was keen to switch back to winter. Uh, it is a winter sport. If we can't do that, and I understand the reasons why we play in summer, uh, then I do think there needs to be a moratorium on, on early kickoffs because it doesn't help the product. The players can't play in that sort of uh, temperature. And it's not great for the fans either because, you know, we, we tend not to build stadiums for some reason in Australia with roofs on. Uh, I don't quite <laughs> yes. know why that's the case. But yeah. uh, so they either get wet through or they get third-degree mm. burns, which um, is not great. Speaking of crowds, uh, not a bad one, actually. Relatively speaking, MacArthur Wellington on a Monday night, 4,893, the second highest crowd for a, a non-Sydney team. But Phoenix, impressive, yeah. inflicted on MacArthur their first loss of the season, 3-0. Yeah, look, you know, the Bulls are starting to grow a little bit in terms of crowd, which is great to see. Uh, credit to the bullpen, their active supporters who are trying to create a noise and get people to go along and get in, invested in this team. Uh, on the pitch, unfortunately, that uh, larger crowd wasn't rewarded with a good performance. And in fairness to the Bulls, they looked flat. They looked tired because they played in Asia only uh, four days earlier, uh, long trip back from the Philippines. And Wellington were terrific. Um, three excellent goals, two for Costa Barbarousas, one for Bozidar Krajev, and they're top of the league at the moment. And, you know, it just goes to show that they've got an unheralded coach in Giancarlo Italiano. He made only two off-season signings, um, and yet he's top of the league with a good blend of experience and very good youth academy players that are coming through the system. And they did it all without their top scorer, Oscar Zabada, as well. So they're going all right at the moment, the Knicks. Yes, they are. And uh, I think the eggnog's going to be tasting slightly sweeter at the Aloisi Christmas party after Johnny got one over <laughs> over Ross and, and he needed that too. Uh, they came from behind to West United, two over Brisbane Raw 1. I wanted to get your thoughts, uh, Simon. So you would have heard Gary Neville's comments. Gary Neville, you know, I like him as a pundit there on Sky, but it, at times had perhaps been critical of Ange Postacoglu's rather cavalier approach when it comes to playing attacking football. And he cited that Chelsea game down to, to nine men. But now he said, well... You know, if Pep moves on from your beloved Man City, would somebody like Ange be a worthy replacement? And he sort of jokingly said, oh, i just copy Pep, mate. It's rather fascinating. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but uh, I had to get your thoughts on the matter. Well, look, first of all, you know, Gary Neville has not been the first person to criticise Ange. I mean, True. we did a fair bit of it when he was in this country. <laughs> yeah, yes. um, you know, that, that's sort of part of the gig, unfortunately, but... Um, uh, he's certainly building a name for himself in the Premier League. And with regards to City, well, you know, why not? I mean, he plays the sort of football that Pep Guardiola loves. It would be a continuation of that. And, of course, he's got links with the City Football Group because he coached at Yokohama F. Marinos in Japan, who are partly owned by the City Football Group. Uh, so they know him pretty well. Uh, Pep has said that he respects and likes him. Uh, whether Guardiola will have any say in who succeeds him or not, I don't know. And I'm hoping he's going to be there for a few more years yet because yeah. he's the best manager in the world. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a possibility. The only thing for Ange is, you know, he grew up as a, a boyhood Liverpool fan and I, I reckon that would be his dream job once Jurgen Klopp moves wow. on. Uh, and that might be a few years away as well. But, uh, you know, he used to have posters of the Liverpool players on his wall in Melbourne when he was a kid. So... Mm. I think that would be his dream job, but uh, yeah, City would be uh, very interesting if he went there. That's for sure. Yeah, they're too successful, though, aren't they, Simon? Doesn't Ange prefer clubs that can be rebuilt? <laughs> Not sure you can rebuild Man City, can you? Well, look, I mean, they they will need a rebuild once Pep goes because 
you know, you'd, you'd look at the example of Alex Ferguson when he left Manchester United and everybody said, oh, you know, it's a dynasty, it'll just continue with David mm. Moyes. And they've been 10 years in the doldrums now. So a change of manager can change a lot of things. And I think sometimes people are under, underestimate just how good Pep Guardiola is. So, uh, yeah, you never know. You never know, yes. And as for my beloved Man United, that vital point at Anfield, even though they were played off the park, and uh, nice to see Anana yeah. starting <laughs> copping less criticism. He was, he was pretty good. Just, uh, just on your city, see you, you bottled that lead, didn't you, Cyber? Now four points off third place, Aston Villa. Mm. How are you feeling at the moment? Uh, look, there's no panic just yet, but uh, there's no doubt that there are a few issues at City just at the moment. Um, they've dropped, I think it's now eight points uh, against. Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea and Palace, all from winning positions. And it's a bit of a habit they've got into that they're in control of games, they're matches that they should win, and then inexplicably they're, they're switching off for whatever reason the last 15, 20 minutes and conceding a lot of, of late goals. It's not a good habit to have, um, but it's still very early. We've come back mm. from bigger deficits than this in the past. So, you know, Kevin De Bruyne is almost fit again. Haaland will be back soon. Uh, we've got the January transfer window to come. Just wait. Just, just wait. Ominous warning there from you, Simon. Just lastly, uh, yesterday <laughs> FIFA announced the first edition of this new FIFA Club World Cup. It's a 32-team club tournament. It takes place every four years, held in the USA, June 15 to July 13, 2025. Your thoughts? Uh, well, look, the Europeans won't like it because obviously it's more games for the top players. Um, and in terms of who qualifies for it, I think I said on Twitter yesterday, you, you need a degree in mathematics to be able to work out the permutations. Mm. But, you know, overall, this is a good, a good development for our region, for Asia, for Oceania, for Africa, uh, for, for, the, for the confederations that don't get a lot of, uh, you know, that big money because there's going to be big prize money at stake. And, you know, this, for example, if an Australian team, and this is a big if at the moment, but if they were to win the Asian Champions League and qualify for the FIFA Club World Cup, you know, you look at them going up against the Real Madrid or a Man City or Man United, whoever it is, Barcelona, uh, in the FIFA Club World Cup and earning potentially, you know, between 15 and $20 million. That's a game changer for clubs in this neck of the woods. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's good for our region. The Europeans will hate it. Well, toss. Well, tough. Great to get your thoughts as always. Simon, we'll catch you tonight on the Global Game with Alex. Thanks, Gillian. All the best. There he is, Simon Hill, 0457 736 736. Breaking back with more summer mornings. Yes, I touched upon this yesterday. You would have heard it on your news headlines about Harrison Indicott, the Australian golfer. He was a really good young amateur coming through the ranks. Conditional card. Uh, he was about to qualify for the PGA Tour before rain holded play. It's official now. So well done to Aussie golfer Harrison Endicott. He has regained his PGA Tour card after winning the final event of that cutthroat qualifying school in Florida. Though Aussie stride out as well. He sleep on the third round lead for two nights, would you believe? after thunderstorms and waterlogged courses forced a Monday finish, but the 27-year-old held his nerve to convert a two-shot advantage into a four-stroke victory with a final round at three under par 67 at TPC Sawgrass's Dyes Valley course. So well done to Harrison Endicott. So the top five finishes and ties earned cards. So Endicott secured his ticket back to the big time after he had finished 139th in the FedEx Cup standings in his rookie PGA Tour season. So well done. Well done to Harrison Endicott back on the tour. Uh, Adam Fenor Blake, Dearden to Dragons. Flano make it happen. Uh, I don't think they're going to get Dearden. 
I'd be pretty confident for Newell Blake. It's basically between them and the Sharkies now. Uh, Dearden, I think, is going to stay. Matthew Sinclair, born in Catherine. Mark from Red Bank and Bulldog Bob as well. Congratulations. Yeah, the Kiwi cricketer, Matty Sinclair. So, no, it wasn't Luke Ronke. I thought somebody might say that. Absolutely right. Uh, not many words. Kudos, Kingy, for asking my question of Simon Hill. Read poor crowd attendances. Oh, good on your rooster, Mars. Yeah, look, sometimes people say, can you ask? And if I'm thinking or reading something, I, I occasionally miss those text messages saying, would you mind? But, you know, if it's a good question, I'm more than happy to put questions to our guests. That's a beautiful thing about live radio is that it's interactive and you, the listener, gets a say. Podcasts can't do that. Podcasts can't do that. I hope my daughter's okay. I can't get it out of my head now that I fed her four-day-old milk. Meat? Is that red meat day after? You just passed the smell test. It didn't smell off as well, the four-day-old milk. But what I might do is because even though a few people have been out of the office with all the studio renos, I think they're still ordering a lot of milk. So I might just duck the fridge around the sales office there. If there's a two-litre, I'm just going to chuck it in the car. Don't tell anyone, Tommy. Don't tell anyone. Uh, Mick says, Jules, Jaya Potato did not refuse to fight the IBF mandatory challenger. No, I don't. Did I say that? I don't think I said that. The challenger kept delaying the fight with injury and excuses. Jaya wants to fight him. With all the delay, Jaya just wanted an interim fight to keep busy because he trains hard and he's ready. IBF refused, so he walked and took the big money to fight in the great card. Fighters are just pawns in the boxing circus and Jaya's looking after himself first and foremost. No, no argument from me, Mick. No argument at all. Seem very stringent with their rules, though. Uh, Jules, with Jerome Luai, he has to decide whether he plays 2024 with Penrith to chase a fourth title or West Tigers to avoid a third spoon. Is there a decision to make? <laughs> but, you know, is there really a decision? We're saying there's a decision. Not sure there is, though. He'll stay at Penrith. Brian Fletcher said, no, he's not going anywhere. He wouldn't do that to his teammates. Jeremy, I feel we have to give India what they give us. We have to doctor the pitches to suit us. Also, don't like them as they don't let the Pakistan guys play IPL, says Jeremy. We don't need to doctor the pitch. Just use the natural characteristics of Australian pitches. That is enough. And I spoke to the Perth curator last week on the program, and I said, you know, do you ever have discussions with the coaching staff? No, they don't tell me what to do. I just do my thing. And they trust the process, as it should be. As it should be. All right, for the final time today, let's bring in two rolls, Tommy. That could stick too, two rolls, Tommy. Two rolls, Tommy. I don't, yeah. Yeah, I've got two AM, Tommy. No, it's because... two cents, Tommy, two phones. It's because you, when you go to the Vietnamese bakery, they're so good, you just you get a couple of rolls, don't you? Yeah. How good are those Vietnamese pork rolls? Oh, they're amazing. Yeah, so do you good. get the fresh chili? Yeah. They ask you, like, do you want chili as though I can't handle it? So listen, I've got Indian heritage. Load up. you got Indian ch- heritage? Yeah. Wow. How do you not know that? Everybody knows that. That you have Indian heritage? Yes. Okay. Yeah, mum was born in Calcutta. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, we went through our rankings. Or you had some rankings last week. You reacted to Crash Craddock's. You know, oh, his, yeah. What Gil, was it, top 10? Gilchrist at 10 and Warner at 8. Australian and Border batters. ahead of Ponting and Border ahead of Gregory Stephen. Yep. Well, SEN's very own Tom Morris. He's ranked What's the he top now, 10. He's ranked the top nine Aussie cricketers to wear the baggy green after Nathan Lyon reached his, you know, now he's got 501 hey, test hey, wickets. Hey, top no, so top nine Aussie cricketers to wear the bag. What, what's the criteria though? I'm like, just looking at the good, graphic. Good blokeness, like Bradman. He's done a. He's done like a. Bradman's le- the best cricketer of all time, yeah. but he wouldn't be the best bloke, right? So I don't know what's the. Criteria. Well, he's done. He's done eleven. He's done eleven. Okay. Do you want me to go one to eleven or eleven to one? Go one to eleven. Okay. Number one, Don Bradman. Yeah. Number two, Shane Warne. Yeah. Now this is Tom Morris's list. Yes. Number three, Adam Gilchrist. 
Number four, Ricky Ponting. Five, Steve Smith. Six, Greg Chappell. Seven, Glenn McGrath. Eight, Dennis Lilly. Nine, Nathan Lyon. Ten, Alan Border. Eleventh, Steve Waugh. I don't. So, what's the headline again? Best Aussie Test players. So it's where the baggy greens. The best Aussie Test players. So the best. The best. The best. The best. And Tom Morris has him ninth. And this, so this was done last night on, on Sports Day on SCN eleven sixteen. And Bryce McGain, who we spoke to yesterday, he had mm. Nathan Lyon eleventh. I don't have Lyon ahead of Steve War as a test cricketer. That's what Tom Morris has. He's got no. border 10, Steve War no, 11. No, 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 no. What are these people thinking? And I've hosted radio with Tom Morris before, and mm. we've come up with the sort of greatest T20 teams of players. And, uh, you know, he's a smart man, Tommy, but sometimes, you know, you get caught up in the emotion of these things. And I love Nathan Lyon, love Gaz. You can't tell me he's a greater test cricketer than Steve War. No, but, and Steve War was bowling and batting too. Yeah, like but for the a little, for the, from the start and, and, of his and, career and, and the time as well. I agree. And it's just, yeah, I, I, yeah. Do do you take any oh, umbrage I, I, with Adam Gilchrist at three for Tom Morris's list? Look, I mean Gilchrist, most arguably the most beloved Australian cricketer of recent times. Like nobody had a bad word to say about Gilchrist. No. Everyone adored him and adored the way he played cricket as a chip champion bloke. But the thing about it is, and there's recency bias there, I mean, in terms of sheer popularity, and I mentioned the name Victor Trump, but before you go so far back, at his funeral, they had tens of thousands that marched with him, hopped the barge across the harbour. Like, that's how much of a celebrity and star Victor Trump was, if you know what I mean. So it's not just, you know, where do you put a Tiger O'Reilly, for example, you know, these sorts of players. Like DK, I can't have McGrath ahead of Dennis Lilly. I can't. Bradman, Warren, absolutely. Gilchrist, I'm okay with that. Uh, but there's a few maybe before that that probably deserved a mention that didn't get a mention. Yeah, and there's a green keeper, Roos, is sending a text. Where's Keith Miller, Richie Benno in, on his list? Correct. He's, I mean, so nugget. I mean, he's not thank in, you, green keeper. He's Roos. not on Tom Morris's list, but Bryce McGain has Richie Benno ninth yeah. on his list. But also, he's got Shane Watson 10. Bryce? Bryce, Shane Watson, 10th. He's a good fella, Shane Watson. And Nathan there's no Lyon, way he's 11th. anywhere near that top 10. No, there's no way. No, that's no fascinating. Way. Where's Scott Muller? He's in the conversation. <laughs> um, Where's my old mate, Graham Beard? Just before Morning I, to your beardy. Um, talking about Gilly most likable, I think there's a guy on the current Australian team who's quickly earning the same... Um, Mitch Marsh. Nope. Oh, he's the most likable bloke in the team, Mitch. Really? Travis Head? Yeah, he's up there. I think Travis Head's more likable than Mitch. Oh... Just because Mitch, of Mitch also what he's done on the, well, on the pitch. Uh, Mitch Marsh is a very, very popular player. I yes. agree. It's, it's the, the 180 he's been able to do. Remember back in 2019 where he had that quote saying, I think most West of Australia hate me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, before I go, yes. Usman Khawaja is on the verge of his most bizarre achievement of the year, potentially outbatting an entire nation. So get this, Jules. If Kawaja bats until lunch in Boxing Day against Pakistan at the MCG, he will, in all likelihood, have faced more test deliveries this year than the entire South African test team. So Usman Kawaja so far has faced 2,689 balls, and the South African team between them has faced 2,744. How many test matches has Usman played? The South Africa don't play as many test matches... As Australia do, right? That's so they obviously shout. have the the five test series against England. See, South Africa don't, you know, they don't want to play more than a two test series now. So obviously would have played more tests. But even still, I mean, that that's a pretty telling statistic. And Usman's been the premier opener in Test match cricket for the last couple of years. 
Okay, so here we go. Yep. So the uh, South Africa Proteas have played just three tests this year. Yep. Australia, by contrast, have played 12. Kawhi just scored 1,160 run, okay, eight so runs at 55. Sure. So but that, still, that skews it. Though, but that's about it? six batsmen there. If you're probably taking the top mm. six. Do you like Usman? I love Usman. Okay. There's another very likable. Oh, I, sorry. I've got to get to Matt's because Matt keeps uh, pestering me. Massive Aussie rules and sports-obsessed fan from Adelaide who can't stand AFL. Tell me, okay. Which their own. I'm tuning into you this morning, mate. Love this topic of sports league expansions. I'd love the Rams to come back to Adelaide and the NRL. Uh, shout out to Graham Apo, by the way. I think they used Hindmarsh Stadium in winter and Adelaide United don't use it and budget for 10,000 fans roughly. I think it could be successful. Obviously, we need some backing from the South Australian government and the NRL would love it if it happened one day. Uh, maybe one day. They're down the list at the moment. Not rugby league heartland, Matthew. They need better infrastructure in place. And the thing about it is with the Rams... The minute they started, I would say losing, but not winning frequently, clouds, clouds, clouds came over Hindmarsh Stadium. The crowds started to drop off a cliff. Uh, Jules, isn't four-day-old milk just homemade yoghurt, says Azza? It could be. It didn't, but it wasn't clumpy Azza. That's my point. Keith Miller, Richie Benno, thank you, Green Keeping Rooster. Uh, Steve, on the topic of funerals, Jules, check out the funeral of Les Darcy, probably one of the biggest the country has ever had, a great, great fighter. Thank you. Uh, McHugh, thanks, Scoop. Head is like a pull. Okay. And Matt, thank you for your kind words. 0457 736 736. Don't worry, the flow of text messages will continue. The afternoon program with Daniel Garb is in the studio right Hello, now. Jules. Morning, Garby. There we go. Hello, Jules. Yes. Getting a hang of things on my second day. Give yourself a tickle, turn yourself on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we were chatting it during the break. I didn't think the name Matthew Sinclair would be mentioned as much <laughs> on the network today, but apparently it's going to be, Daniel. So we're doing a talkback subject today. I want to take stock of Victor Wembenyama's season. Got oh. a couple of basketball experts joining us. I think he'll be the biggest sports sporting star on the planet in a couple of years. And, and not just size-wise. Not just no. size-wise. Uh, you know, 19 points, 11 rebounds he's averaging in his first season, number mm. one draft pick to the San Antonio Spurs. Good, but not great just yet. I think sure. he'll get there. He's in a struggling side. Anyone who's watched him understands the freakishness of him. But the hype is enormous. Um, and I'm just wondering who are the most hyped sports stars that we've seen that either have or haven't lived up to the billing, right? Yeah, great. And Matt Sinclair, we, we both spoke about, because you Google the cricketers who haven't quite lived up to it, and his name comes up more than any other. Made 200-odd on debut against the Windies and then played 33 tests and only averaged 32. And born in? Darwin. No, Catherine, Northern Territory, right. close. Close yes. enough. Yeah. <laughs> Damien Martin's another one born yeah. there who was hyped up, who lived up oh, to the expectation, finally, along with Matthew Hayden. So it's not yeah. just those who failed to get there, but the ones who were pumped up and, and matched it as well. Martina Hingis in tennis is one that yeah, comes to Capriati. mind. Yeah, had her troubles. Yeah, spent some time away from the game. Yeah. You know, fell into drugs and the rest of it. It must be a difficult upbringing when you're that hyped at the age of 14 and don't know anything else. And... Thankfully, she came back. Venus and Serena yeah. wiped up yeah. beyond anything, and, and they matched it in the end. Joseph Suley, you might be another one there. That's you know, an interesting one. Yeah. So a few rugby league names that have come to mind. I mean, Caelan Pong is delivering. Mm. Luke Brooks is the one that everyone starts to, <laughs> yes. to mention. Um, Brad Fittler apparently was likened to Bob Fulton before he played a, an NRL game and so certainly delivered. Having to live with that. Oh, you're the next this, you're the next that. I mean, way to put pressure on the kid. So in the sport of football in Australia, it's always been the next cure, the next Faduka. And we've almost stopped saying it. It's almost been written into the Australian football constitution. Yeah. You cannot use that label no, anymore. No. Because Kaz Patafta fell foul to That's it. That's a great shout. He was the next Harry Kuehl. Tommy Orr was the next Harry Kuehl. Had mm. a really good career. But he admits, I've spoken to Tommy a lot, that 
pressure yeah. had an impact on him at, at times. Mm. But then there are others like Schwarzer and Brett Emerton was hyped up massively. He, was, he had yeah. a fantastic yeah. career. So there are some who have delivered on it. And there's a plenty of cricketers we want to mention as well. Others who have maybe struggled with the hype. So looking forward to uh, the viewer, uh, the listeners, sorry, getting involved with that on the text line and the open line. I, I just thought of one. Sorry to jump in yep. there. As a Dragons fan, a young schoolboy prodigy, Jimmy Smith knows him more, Damien Chapman, okay. uh, schoolboy star, and thought this kid's going to be anything. Went to the Dragons little, so he wasn't a big body and just... It just couldn't cut it. It's funny. Jimmy's given me another name, but I'm going to save it for my show. Save it? What it's else? It's a ripper, and I reckon a lot of rugby league fans will resonate with it, but I'm not giving it away just yet. You'll have oh, to tune I'm in after to, 12. I'm going to have to peek at your pages during the break. <laughs> uh, what else is coming up on the program? So I'm also keen to talk about one of the better achievements uh, in Australian sport over the last 24 hours that may get missed in some parts, but I won't on our show today. Harrison Endicott has won through to the PGA Tour. Fantastic. I mentioned that a bit earlier, yeah. Uh, you would obviously be across it, Jules, but you know the mainstream media might avoid it a little bit. Uh, SEN 1170, we won't. Um, we are mainstream, of course, but we'll pay credit to uh, Harrison Endicott because to win Q School is Good. the most gruelling, pressure-inducing thing you can go through. Yep. You know, there's 150 blokes in the field, five get cards. That's it. That's and it. And they're not playing for a major title where you're already a multimillionaire. They're playing for their livelihoods. Yeah. Like, they miss out. The whole landscape of their existence changes. Can you imagine having that on your shoulders going into a, a round of golf? Incredible pressure. I think I read the great Greg Chalmers was at, at Q School as well, but uh, Harrison was part of that. That really good generation of amateur golfers, Curtis Luck and, and, and Brett Coletta, uh, Cam Davis is another one, so, and, and Lucas Herbert, I think, was of that generation as mm. well. So a lot of talent in Australian golf. Looking forward to that, Garby, coming up after midday in New South Wales, 11 o'clock in Queensland. Looking forward Stay to it, mate. Join us. Yes, yeah, so those that uh, perhaps haven't lived up to the hype. Have a think about that. Text him on the open line. Or lived and, up to it. Or lived up to it. In fact, a few are coming in early, so, yes, read them from about 11... 49 or there and thereabouts. Thank you, <laughs> no Daniel worries. Garb. We'll take a break, come back, wrap things up. Almost out of time on the program this morning. Thank you, everybody, for your contributions, uh, Margot. Morning, Jules. A playoff picture in the NFL looking at the NFC uh, fifth, uh, division. Three teams in a struggle for the division title. Likewise, in the AFC, uh, three teams in a struggle for the division title. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. We've got the just about to get on the way. Who's playing at the moment now? Oh, there's Jalen Hurts. He's fit, so it is. The d -d 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 Seahawks. Who are they playing? 2am, Tommy, and the Eagles. The Seahawks and the Eagles. Uh, just regarding Christmas songs, Morning Kingy and Co. Anything by Kevin Bloody Wilson is a great choice. He's very popular, but you know as well as I that we can't play Kevin Bloody Wilson live on air. And Paul, hot ticket. It's on my bucket list being a Brisbaneite, a Boxing Day test of an Ashes series, day one, 90,000 plus in the stands. Absolutely. One of the hottest tickets in town. I've never done it. We'll have to do it before I die. Thank you, everybody, for your calls and contributions to the program today. Thank you to our guest, to Chad Sayers, to Stephen Farrow, to talk all things United Cup, to Simon Hill. Don't forget, you can catch him on the Global Game tonight from 8 o'clock in New South Wales, 7 o'clock in Queensland. And to two rolls, Tommy, uh, for his unique contribution and his hot betting tips, as always. Daniel Garb coming up after the news. Give him a call on 1300 01 1170. Back to do it all again tomorrow. Dan Churney's going to join us. We'll catch up with Matty Proud as well from the Swifts and much, much more. Have a wonderful day, everyone. I'm Julian King. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.